0: few days I've been watching a family of cardinals. You can hear the babies throughout the house. Watching them makes me think about being a parent and raising my own children. When I think about the generations in my family, I'm always curious about what stays and what gets left behind. Hello? in my family. Nothing, nothing is more worshipped than the sweet potato pie. Some of my favorite memories is coming home to the smell of that pie. She never used a measuring cup. So I don't know how she did it. <laughs> uh,
1: what a tease there. Um, Good morning, and welcome to Wanda's Picks, the Black Arts and Cultural Program of the African Sisters Media Network. And that was Twelve Ingredients, one of the films, feature films, um, uh, short, that's a part of the Legacy Film Festival on Aging, the tenth annual at that. And that film, which is that um, that film, is a part of this program, uh, May twenty fourth through thirty first, and it's all virtual. So we have on the air the director and one of the subjects in the film or the subject in the film, um, his daughter, Adele Hampton. Uh so Sam Hampton is director with Adele. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us. Good morning. For oh, I just us. love that. I'm so happy you sent me that clip. Um, the beautiful birds, your, you know I mean, your cinematography is just outstanding. It's so beautiful
0: thank you um i actually did the cinematography as well as um writing the story um easy story to write um because it's just you know <laughs> it's just our family and that's kind of how we how we interact and how we how we you know just uh relate to each other
1: mm mhm yeah yeah you and your daughter Cooking this pie, making this pie, and and you know, it's so funny. Before I I, I saw the end of the film, I saw the the, the name, and I'm like, are they going to tell us how they, how they made it? You know, these twelve ingredients. Like, how do you bake this kind of pie? And and then and then you know, sort of weaving it through the generations. I mean, what a wonderful metaphor. And you also do the art. Like, there are these looks like watercolors. Are there watercolors? Yeah.
0: Um, actually it's it's just a um, a uh, software program. Um the, uh I took images and the software manipulates it so it, it looks like a watercolor, but it's just basic graphics.
1: Oh. Oh, well, hey. Who would yeah. have known? It's so beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, it
0: worked out. It actually worked out very well. I, I, I was trying to get the right uh, color tones that um, would represent, you know, the color of the pie, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, the color of who we are, and you know, also the. If you know anything about the South and Alabama, you know you have that mm-hmm. red
1: clay. So it
0: all kind mm-hmm. of. Um, that the color was a theme and a, a character in the film.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Even even in like the cinnamon and the allspice and the nutmeg, that's got that same kind of hue as well. Yeah. Even yeah. the brown sugar a little bit.
2: Yeah.
1: Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Adele, was it was it you know hard for mm-hmm. your dad to get you to come over and bake that pie? You
3: know, uh, because you all really yeah. have
1: there a lot of stuff to it. <laughs> I
3: love that pie so much. I will eat that pie for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, <laughs> so there was no
1: no bribery needed. No,
3: no nothing. <laughs>
1: wow, yeah, what a wonderful story uh, about your family and your mom. Oh my goodness, and it's a migration story too. Really, yeah. really beautiful. And yes, yes, I do know about the South. I'm a southerner. I was born in New Orleans. So oh, okay. mm-hmm. know about that red clay. I don't know. I mean all all different geographies have their the different look of the soil but um mm-hmm. And I was also thinking about um uh red clay in certain parts of the African diaspora. Um in Senegal the uh the earth is, is that reddish reddish kind of color. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So I'm going to read your bios, and then we can talk more about your mom and this wonderful work and, and the ingredients, you know, that that create, you know, this wonderful legacy that, that you share with your daughter, who is creating her own legacy. <laughs> um, Sam Hampton is an award-winning documentary filmmaker and co-founder of Docs in Progress, a Maryland nonprofit that fosters a community for documentary filmmakers. Sam's films have been screened at the Library of Congress, National Museum of Women in the Arts, um, Cornell Cinema, and the Chautauqua Institution, and numerous national film festivals. Which, which film is 12 Ingredients for you?
0: Uh, 12 Ingredients have been shown in a few places. Um, it's It's been out, actually, for about a year. Um, okay, good to no. mm-hmm. uh, This film was at the Washington, D.C. International Film Festival. Um, it was in the San Francisco Black Film Festival, uh, oh. Montgomery, Montgomery, Alabama Film Festival, mm-hmm. uh, Alexandria, Virginia Film Festival. It's been... Mm-hmm in a lot of places, um, um, upstate New York. So it's been to about, at this point, um, including the uh, Legacy Film Festival on, on on aging, I would say we're probably up to about 16 film festivals for this little film.
1: Oh, my. Wow, wow. 16, that's amazing. So did you, you shoot this film um – before COVID started, or, or was this um, some of your... Yeah. I was, this was okay. well,
0: yeah, this was well before COVID. Uh, um, yeah, the timing was perfect. Um, I've actually been wanting to make this film for a very long time. Um, uh, just the... Uh, my, my mom died in the spring. She died in April, and it seemed like every oh. April... I, I wanted to, like, make this film, and so I finally had the time to do it. And uh, uh, Adele and I were, were in the same town. We were in D.C. at the time. We, we actually were both in Seattle right now. So talking about migration, we went from Alabama to uh, to New York to D.C., and now we're way over here in the Pacific Northwest. Um but uh uh it was really important for me to uh make this film when I did, um in the springtime in April. Um I think it was was it nineteen was it twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen? I can't remember.
1: Twenty nineteen. Okay. Yeah. Ah, oh, nice, nice. Oh, that's really wonderful. Yeah, when I, I saw the April it's like, Oh, and it's May and you know, we're celebrating Mothers this weekend, but you know, Exactly. Mother's Day will be celebrated throughout out the year. hmm Yeah, but it's perfect perfect time for us to be talking about it. The weekend of Mother's Day. Um, <clears throat> how long How long has your mother been um, had, since she transitioned? Since she passed. Uh, that was
0: uh, about uh, uh, twenty years ago. Uh, I think it was nineteen ninety nine. Twenty years. Yes.
1: Oh, 1999. And you made the film yes. in 2019. Wow. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, there's How been beautiful. a that. Yes. Yeah. yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Certainly, certainly. Yeah. And Adele, oh, my goodness, you are a storyteller and lover of mason jars with roots planted in Washington, D.C., by way of upstate New York. <laughs> you are the 2016 BBC Slam champion, and you've performed at the John F. Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts, um, I think my friend Mark Bamuti Joseph is now running that place. Is am I correct? You know, I I don't know. Um I'm I'm not sure. Um but it's a okay. it's a fantastic space. Yeah. Yeah. Mhm. Yeah, yeah. He um he's well, I think he's bicoastal. coastal. He's here in the bay, but Mark is like, oh my god, uh Bumuti, as we call him. Um Ah, he is such a phenomenal uh, playwright, um, poet, choreographer, um, and so yeah. And he got this position. Um, mm, I don't know, maybe a few years ago now. And he's always hmm. working on other things. Um, I'll I'll um, send you his his num his um his name so you can look him up because you know maybe you all might want you might want to collaborate with him. Um, so anyway, you are yeah, no problem. Um, so you're also. Um, besides the 2016 BBC Slam Champion and performing at the JFK JF Kennedy Center um for performing arts in theaters and and pubs across the United Kingdom. Wow. That's cool. <laughs> uh yeah. you are featured in White Bloody White Bloodies We Will Be Shelter Anthology edited by Andrea Gibson and Flicker and and Flicker and Spark a Contemporary Queer Anthology of Spoken Word and Poetry. Uh, you um, were um, a member of Washington, D.C.'s Beltway Poetry 2013 National Slam Team. Um, so tell us about this traveling um, across the United Kingdom. When was that? <laughs> uh,
3: yeah, um, I actually I lived in uh, the U.K. for, gosh, over four years four to five years, something mm-hmm. like that, um, uh-huh. uh, and uh, I went to school there, um, my ex-wife is British, so we, we lived in London, uh, and, yeah, so I had started um, my kind of, like, poetry uh, career, It was not really a career, it was more like a hobby that kind of spiraled into something more uh, the more I got into it, Um but I started that in D.C., um, and once I moved overseas to the U.K., the U.K. has a really, really kind of vibrant uh, spoken word poetry community. Um, mm-hmm. So the more I got into that, the more I started um, going to open mics, and then open mics turned into, like, paid gigs. And um, by the kind of time I kind of blinked my eyes, I was, you know, traveling around um, – uh, both, uh, England and Scotland doing gigs and, um, performances and teaching oh. workshops, um, and stuff like that. Um, also while maintaining a full-time job, so I would take the train, uh, for like a nighttime gig and then spend the night in whatever city that was and then take the train in, in the morning to get to work on time. <laughs> Uh, so it was a little chaotic, um, but it was definitely uh, an awesome experience um, while I was there. So, yeah, met a lot of people, um, got to know like really good friends um, through all of that. So, yeah, it
1: was definitely a it was a really cool time. Mm, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. So, talk about you know this idea um, that. Your dad had for you all to make this film and and your grandmother, who was like at the center of it yeah um it was kind of
3: it's a it, it's a nice homage because you know it it's something so simple as as a pie right um you know something that is you know on on tables after dinner or on Thanksgiving or christmas and stuff like that, and it was always such a big um Part of kind of growing up, um, and definitely like the early childhood. My grandma died when I was ten, um, so definitely all those kind of like formative memory years are all around like food, um, especially when it comes to her. So it's not just you know the pie, the you know the chicken that comes with it, the fried pork chops that come with it, the like all of those all of those um, things that were kind of just fed to me <laughs> when I was younger. Um, has really kind of made an impact on my life and my memory. Um, and so it was really cool to kind of spend some dedicated time um, really focusing on kind of like deconstructing this pie and what it actually means um, to our family. So it was really, it was really, really cool um, to really kind of experience my grandmother through the baking of the pie, which was really, really it was a really nice experience.
1: Yeah, 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 Sam, talk about these ingredients um, you mentioned in the film um, uh, about, uh, I don't remember how old you said you were in the film, were you like 58, 59, oh, I don't I, remember. I, uh, 60. 60, okay, uh, sorry, yeah. 60, 60
0: when I made the film. Um, okay. Actually, I have to give credit to um, all the food shows out there, they make it really easy, <laughs> Um uh, it's not that easy to film any kind of baking of anything we um uh, you know we we made that film in uh in a a whole day and uh mm. um, usually um when you make a pie, you don't really think about it you can make a pie in an hour but uh we had to really think through um how to um uh organize our shots so we can, you know, get from the beginning um into actually, you know, the, the finished pie. And um it um it was a lot harder than I thought going in um at Pitt. Um so um the that that particular pie that we made in the film probably didn't come out as well as we'd like, but um, I actually made another pie for the crew, and um, which was perfect. And so uh, mm-hmm. um, uh, we, we had a couple of pies to work with there. Um, but uh, it was it was an uh, it was an amazing film day. Um, um, it, we had an, an, an all women crew, and myself, um, uh, some of uh, my uh, film students that. Um, uh, helped out in making the film, and and they did an absolute wonderful job. And so it, um, it was my mother's recipe, and and um, as I said in, in the intro, in my narration, that I'd never actually see her use a cookbook or or a measuring. She just kind of, you know, just kind of did it all by – Memory by you know it's just like she just knew it, the exact proportions of the spices, and um, she had been doing it so long. And also in the film, um, I think Adele remembers this as well: is that she never actually made one pie. Um, she usually would make like six or seven at a time, and mm-hmm. um, and she would give them out. To, um you know her her church members and um it was just kind of a ritual that you you would always share these pies and so you know after a day at church they would settle down in the in the church basement and just have all of this food just amazing spread um so it, I, I've never seen her make just one pie it was always like a bunch of pies you <laughs> know
1: hmm Yeah, yeah. And but I just sort of think about the whole idea of, um, you know, the crust. You know, the holding. It's almost like holding the family. Like you know, you all are the ingredients. You know, and then you've got this this shell, and and you don't have to even make the shell. The, the shell is kind of created by, um, you know, the environment as well as you know being citizens of this country i mean there's some things that are ingredients in the shell that we have nothing to do with it just it's just we're in it <laughs> um you know no, just, but how right. we show up and what we what we add to it you know our own flavor you know sort of makes it you know sort of original and <clears throat> and really powerful so i was wondering if you could you know um talk about i mean you have some really wonderful uh you know archival clips and Photographs and yeah, won't you and Adele, you know, sort of talk about those ingredients, you know, that are unique to your family. I mean, I love the clip yeah. with your mom. It's like, whoa, that's heck of cool. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um my uh you know, Adele has her memories of her grandmother. I have my memories mm-hmm. of my mom and my right. grandfather. Um mm, uh growing. Right. up. Um, when my, my mom, at the age of 19, um, her and her sister, my Aunt Mary, took a, took a bus from Birmingham, Alabama to Rochester, New York. They, they had been studying the Underground Railroad, and they made the decision that once they got out, out of high school, they wanted to go as far north as possible. And they, I, I don't know if they had a plan to go to Canada, but they got as far as Rochester, New York. And if you know anything about the Underground Railroad, that's actually where um, the railroad ended and, and slaves took the boat over Lake, uh, across Lake Ontario into Toronto and to Canada. Um, so um, she, you know, had her, her life in Rochester, New York, and every summer we would make these trips um, down south and um, and that's really when I spent a lot of time um, um, with my grandfather, uh, Sammy Shine. I, I was named after my grandfather, and he was a uh, you know big big guy who who worked in the steel mills. And um, and I I I always have, you know my memories of him and my mom sitting on the porch and and um, you know just kind of doing those summer things and playing in the red clay and that kind of stuff. And, um, I, um, I'm not quite sure where, where all the photographs, but we, we just had, right when my mother passed and, you know, I discovered that we had all these photos from, um, that time. It was probably in the fifties or sixties, um, of, um, uh, my grandfather and my mom, um, you know, doing things in in Birmingham. So I had those photos, and um, I just thought they would be perfect for the film. So I used that. And uh, my mother was somewhat of an activist. Uh, She was a civil rights leader in Rochester. Um, She belonged to uh, uh, some activist groups like CORE, Congress for Racial Equality, and, um, she started a, uh, nonprofit organization. She started a big brother, big sister program in the sixties and, um, actually had some promotional films for that. Um, that was done in like six black and white 16 millimeter. So I, I, um, you know, that's the only, you know, film or record of my mom, you know, doing something. So I, I, um, had to have that converted for the film. And so you actually get to see my mom and her, I think at the time she was in her 30s um, doing her work. And um, so I I felt um, really blessed to have a combination of old archive film footage, um, photographs, um, documents. You know, I, I used my mother's um, death certificate to help tell the story of her life. Um, so I just combined all those things as kind of, as you would say, um, ingredients to, to tell her story of, of how she, you know, went from the south to the north.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for, um, I, I have forgotten a detail about your grandfather. That's real important. Mhm. Yeah. 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 So you are, if we're if we're staying in the analogy of of the pie, <laughs> um, how would you describe your relationship? I mean, like, what what ingredient are you, and what have you taken, like, like from the pie? Like, how have you like put your twist on the pie? You know, um, you know, with your own chow who who is from the same ground or the same ingredient same bowl i don't know bowl maybe like yeah Yeah, i saw how you were smashing up little sweet potatoes
0: (laughs) yeah that was a lot of sweet uh,
1: potatoes (laughs) i don't know
0: you know adele could probably chime in on this for me you know i can't every time i make that pie uh, it just brings up a lot of memories of my past Mm -hmm. and i
1: don't Mm -hmm. know if that's
0: true for adele but um I have yet to make that tie and not think about my mom or my grandfather. So Mm it's a, it's a good way of staying connected um, to all of that.
3: -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it is. I think about it in terms of staying connected to
2: uh,
3: not only just like my grandma, but also just kind of my dad's side of the family in general, um, my, both my mom and my dad are from the same city. They're both from Rochester, New York. Um, mm-hmm. and so going from like one set of grandparents house to the other and, and stuff like that, it, it was always just, um, going, you know, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And this, it's interesting because my grandmother on my mom's side is still so alive. She's still with us, thankfully. Um, so there's a lot of ways to stay, um, with that relationship, but you know, obviously since my dad's mom, my, my other grandma, she you know, she passed when I was younger, it it's a nice way to stay still stay connected. Um and and so it it's a good like I guess like nostalgic
1: um um mm-hmm. connection
3: but it's also like it's also a way to stay very kind of rooted um in my history as well. Um, definitely as I get older. Um, and get kind of further and further away from those childhood memories, um, mm-hmm. you know, eating and that senses and the smells and all that kind of stuff. Just kind of is a nice kind of trigger to to go back to to those those times and just be really present in that in that memory. Um, so yeah, I'm very I'm very thankful that we still have the recipe. I'm very thankful that <laughs> we had you know the wherewithal to write it down. Uh, so we can mm-hmm. have it as well. because um, then it's you know it's also something to to pass on, right? it's It's a legacy. Um, and yeah. so i'm I'm very thankful to have that legacy to kind of to to continue um, because we don't really have a lot of things um, left um, from my dad's side of the family um, between like moves and just kind of the way life goes um, and stuff like that. This is one thing that is very concrete and cemented. Um, So it's it's a real treasure to have it um, last so long and to kind of continue it um, in these different forms, right? Because, like, a pie recipe can just be written down on a piece of paper and put in a recipe book. But when you make it come alive through a film or through poetry or through, um, you know, conversations like this, it just enhances... um, it enhances all of that, and it becomes bigger than just you know two cups of brown sugar and three sweet potatoes. It becomes an actual story, um, and that's something that i I can tell, I can feel, I can be rooted in um and all that kind of stuff so it is it's really nice to be able to kind of step outside just the the black and white recipe of it and say like how does this is actually my
1: my story as as well Mhm right right that's really important and um and what would you say um sam is uh you know something that you like for your audiences to to take away from from the film since they I mean they do have a recipe but they don't get any real pie i mean because you're not like in their home with them virtually yeah. or i mean i don't know like when you had the the screenings like at san francisco um black film festival if you were there and there was pie <laughs> available <laughs> um you know to audiences afterwards they could taste that yummy pie and yeah. they thought about the sweet film <laughs>
0: yeah. well you know it is um as the metaphor goes it's a, it's a slice of black life you know and mm-hmm. you know and I think it's 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 a snapshot of who we are, you know as a people mm-hmm. you know this is really one of many, many stories um and i I really don't think um you can tell these kinds of stories enough, but I do think for all audiences really to to have that kind of uh insight into this you know one family's history um um it's just something that I think needs to be shared, you know, just like a pie, you know. Something that mm-hmm. you share. So that's that's kind of part of the thinking and making the, the film.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah. We're really happy that you made the film. It's really, really lovely. Um, are there any other films along the line of this one? Um in you know, sort of in the pipeline as they say? Any more family um, family stories coming up?
0: Uh no. Um actually the very very first um film i ever made when i was attempting to be a filmmaker was about my mom it's called my mother's mm-hmm. journey and it's an hour-long film that actually it's all about my mom and her life and how she came mm-hmm. from alabama to rochester um mm-hmm. so um uh, You can, you know, go to my website, Hampton Films, and you can look it up, and if you're interested, you can see it, Um, Mm -hmm. but it really does um, tell the story of uh, the black migration and her struggles, you know, um, becoming kind of a whole self.
1: Oh, wow. Oh, thank you. Yes, I would love to see that film as well. Uh, And and so I want to let our audiences know again that um, we're speaking to uh, Sam Hampton and his daughter, Adele Hampton, about uh, their film, uh, 12 Ingredients, and it is a part of the Legacy Film Festival on Aging. Um, It's going to go live on May 24th through 31st. However, tickets are available now, and uh, and it's really reasonable, um, $8 per program. And your film is a part of a program called Legacy Shorts, Fresh Views uh, of Later Life. And uh, and the website for the uh, Legacy Film Festival is LegacyFilmFestival on aging.org. And, uh, yeah, so you definitely want to see this wonderful film. And um, I don't know if you have prepared a poem for us, Adele. are kind of like out of time, but if you have a poem... Did you prepare something for us today? Because I kind of put in a request, <laughs> but it's not.
3: Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no. I actually, um, I wrote a few years ago. I actually did write a poem about my grandmother, so um, oh, I can, lovely. I can read it.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, someone, let um. Sandra. Sandra, I, I'm, I see you. We'll be with you shortly. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay, um, it's a three minute
3: poem, so I, I'll just uh, let you know that it's called Cooking Lesson. Okay. Um, Here it goes. I wish I could say the word baby like my grandmother. Six size in front of the oven, pies, the results of heavy working arms. I learned how to cook sitting on her lap. My grandmother's soul traveled where her battered knees couldn't take her. Into the freezer, up over stove top burners, into frying pans and pots, she could make water boil without using her legs. So now the only way I know how to make string beans and mashed potatoes is resting on my backside. Good food meant I wasn't allowed to leave the table until everything was gone. This is how I learned to clean my plate. Liz Hampton smelled like lavender. Not the kind found in pretty bottles and boutique windows meant for the wives of rich husbands, hers came unmarked, thick and pungent. A heavy lotion and a short, round, off-purple-colored case with a silver top screwed on so tight you needed the Lord's hands to loosen the lid. I wonder if my father ever found those containers in that clear box under her bed. Ready for a youth that never came. One Sunday morning, cluttered with cerulean clips to hide the bald patches and broken pieces of hot combs. The smell of burning still wafting fresh on their teeth. The screams, squirms, and calls upon Jesus to make the pain stop. This is how I learned to be beautiful. Some people say that the home is where you lay your hat. But with Miss Liz, it seemed more often than not that hearts should be placed on heads instead because my grandmother's home thumped alongside the beat of God's drums. Low and soulful, her chest pumped holy work songs to rhythm footsteps as the Almighty pulled trains over faraway tracks to the promised land. This is how I learned to pray at times. I find myself scanning my reflection for the traits Strangers say we share, but it never seems that this her teeth smile back. So instead, I peek beneath my lungs. Diaphragm rising, I find her there, bearing the weight of my inhale. She promises to never... Hold my breath and tells me to go on and speak. Child, we have come too far to be quiet. This is how I learned to be loud. Fifth grade is too young to go to funerals, so I never got to see the church with sway after they lowered her in the ground. And sometimes I sing amazing grace in the showers so I can pretend that I held hands with blood and faith family as we opened our throats to saline tribute. I don't have the money for brown sugar, her sweet potatoes and Sundays are now reserved for lazy limbs and farmers markets but when i walk past lavender bushels i see project housing and a motorized wheelchair i see arms strong enough to hold up babies and bibles but thick legs too weak to walk into kitchens i see cooking lessons and a righteous jawline the end
1: oh wow that's so beautiful Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Oh, wow, that was really beautiful. Um, yeah, I think you wrote it after your grandmother had passed. If I, if I, you said four years ago. Yeah. I think. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I did. Yeah. So, Dad, what do you think? Yes. I'm sure it stirred up some wonderful oh. memories.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I've heard that poem many times, and uh, it's it's beautiful, and and. Uh, it's it's accurate. Um that that's Mom. That's my mom. Yeah. <laughs> wow,
1: wow. Well, this, this interview has been too short, so we'll have to have you on again. <laughs> but congratulations for for your sixteenth um film festival with this wonderful um film, twelve ingredients and uh Adele, um yeah, we'll have to have you on just with you to talk about your writing and your journalism and your art. But thank you both so much for joining us. Um, it's been really a pleasure speaking to you. Sure. Thank you so much. Thanks hard. again for having us. Uh, oh, you're quite welcome. Peace and blessings. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. Bye. <laughs> uh good morning uh, Sandra Hubbard. How are you? I am doing fine thanks for having me. Oh, you're quite welcome and thank you for this phenomenal story um that's a part of the um uh the civil rights uh section of the wonderful um Legacy um film festival on aging again which is kicking off May 24th through 31st but you can definitely get tickets now um for the past week you've been able to get tickets so this film wow it's amazing this story of I mean Governor Faubus. I mean I heard of him and like Archie Shepp has a has a song <laughs> that he composed about this guy but he was like really determined to like halt you know, the government mandate for integration of the public schools to the point well, I'm just going to hurt everybody. Like, not only are black kids not going to be able to go to school with, you know, white kids, nobody's going to go to school. And, and you know, what these wonderful mothers it was, did. It was,
4: it was quite a year. It really was. And I was in the 11th grade when this happened oh. in Little Rock. I didn't mm-hmm. go to Central. I w- there were four high schools that were closed the second year, uh, mm-hmm. or what we call the second year of the desegregation crisis in Little Rock.
2: Mm-hmm. And so
4: all four of the high schools were closed the next year to avoid integration again. And uh, I, me being a classmate, I was just, I just felt like it was such an important story to tell. And it's not in the history books. It's not.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: You know, when they have celebrations at Central High, they really recently started uh, talking about the lost year, uh, mm-hmm. but they just didn't know the history. You
1: know, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, talk about about that lost year. Um, where were you going to school, and and what did your parents do during that year? Like, because I, I in the film you t- um, you talk about these mothers. Was your mother one of these mothers? No, she wasn't, actually.
4: I I mean, it was so fascinating to go through and try to find out. What Mm -hmm. I found out was that the governor set up the legislature in the summer after the Little Rock 9 year. We call that the Little Rock 9 year. Um, He set up legislation where he passed this legislation, and everyone had to vote on whether to um, have the schools integrated or not integrated. The vote was on you have to vote for integration or the or you vote against integration. And so mm-hmm. I found out that it was our parents literally that closed the schools. I mean, the governor passed the legislation, but the but the mothers and fathers are the ones that voted to close the school. And that was fascinating to me. I don't know what my mother and father did because they're no longer living and. And really and truly, my mom knew about the Women's Emergency Committee, but she was not a member of it.
1: Yeah, yeah. So what happened that year for you? Well,
4: for me, what happened was that we kept waiting to see if the schools were going to reopen because it was all new to us. I mean, we'd just been through this year before, which was quite upsetting Mm -hmm. for a lot of people, and I thought it was only fair that we uh, desegregate the schools, but I was a young kid at the time. Uh, I went to Mabelville High School, which was about 20 miles outside of Little Rock. A lot Mm -hmm. of my friends didn't get to go to school in in Arkansas at all because they started filling up those classes, started filling up, and some of them went to Live with aunts and uncles and grandmothers and stuff like that in different states.
1: Hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. But the yeah, awesome wow, thing was that they yeah
4: they kept uh, football going. Oh really? Yeah, isn't that amazing? It you know, ended. everybody was. They knew the schools were closed, but what was upsetting to these people was that the football teams weren't going to play. And so the, gov- the governor fathers agreed that they should continue to have a season.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I've been looking, trying to find your bio, and I just you have like, there's so much writing on your websites, both of them. They're very interesting, but I started reading a little too late. <laughs> so Tell us how you came to to make this these films, and um, yeah, and and this particular one, the Giants wore white gloves, which is um, forty minutes. You made it in two thousand four, which is quite a while ago, but it's it's so it 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 has a current resonance. You know, when you think about COVID nineteen and all the schools being shut, and what does that mean? And now. Schools are opening. Did, is that the reason why you submitted this film for the film? Festival? No, 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 the... no, not at all. Not <laughs> at all.
4: I, in fact, I, di- I didn't even know the film was going to be shown. Because mm. actually I made the film, I started the project in 1994 and oh. finished it in, two th- in 1997. So mm-hmm. the copyright on that is wrong. It is really a 1997 Film And it premiered at the Hot Springs Film Festival. The reason I made it is because nobody was talking about what happened the second year. I was a television (laughs) producer by trade. I owned my own production company. And when I got all my sons through college, I decided I could go and make something, tell a story I wanted to tell. And I always wanted to know how the schools were reopened And I got to go back to my high school, Hall High School in Little Rock, and graduate with my 1960 classmates because the Mm -hmm. year before we were out of school, you know. So when they would have these, uh, they just never did discuss what happened during the last year. I think it was such an embarrassment. Uh, Nobody seemed to want to talk about it and uh and so i just felt like it was history that should be preserved because i thought it was a positive story about these mm-hmm. women they were my heroes
1: oh yeah 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 they were i just love the way in your film you show how they were never deterred and they were organizing they were trying to you know they made sure that you know that um that the women who were part of their organization either named or unnamed were safe and um, you know, at a time when um I mean it's it's a lot harder now, um, to withhold information when I mean everything is online. But at that time, you know, the police I was it the police came, you know, asked them for their list and they refused to give their list, um and they were gonna they were willing to go, you know, to jail to protect their um their members and and to keep their word. I love that. That Yeah, wasn't that cool?
4: Yeah. Well, the truth is that they were a somewhat secret organization because it was such a volatile time in Little Rock. You know, there were
2: Mm -hmm.
4: hate groups and mother's leagues and white citizens councils and all these people that were opposed to integration. And so Mm -hmm. I I was... uh, I was just thrilled to learn about how it – I was actually at a dinner one night, and I told these friends, I'm going to make a film now about something I want to do. It was my first documentary I've ever made. Oh. <laughs> Excuse me. And she, and the lady at dinner said, you should make it about those women that opened the schools in Little Rock. And I thought, what women? You know, I, none of us knew anything about it. Mm -hmm. The majority of it, we were teenagers, you know. Mm -hmm. So I was 50 when I learned about the Women's Emergency Committee and that they were the reason why we Mm -hmm. got to go back to school. And so I just felt like it was so important to say that story. To me, it's so positive because it was white people fighting to get black people their rights,
1: you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And and the way they framed it because um, you know, the women were slandered, you know, in the media. And okay. so um Mhm. Yeah, yeah. So they were saying, you know, it was about education and no one could say, No, we don't want our children to go to school. Um, yeah. And so I was wondering, um, could you talk a little bit about, um, you know, like were so you were fifty when um you made your first film, so uh, you know, you're talking, you're, you know, these women, you're interviewing them, they're on, you know, you're talking to them, like, did, how many of the women um, are represented in the film, and where are, you know, are they still alive now? Um, oh, oh yeah, no, they've all passed
4: away, as far as I mm-hmm. know, uh, mm-hmm. I moved to Fayetteville about in 2008, so I've kind of lost track of All of that, but the women's, let me finish telling you about the women's um, membership list. They would move that. It was in a a shoebox. They would move that (laughs) every night so that nobody would be able to find out who it was. Mm -hmm. And when the police came to pick up that, uh, that that was Dottie Morris that was talking about how she Mm -hmm. told them she didn't have the, uh, the membership list. Well, that was true because it was moved around all the time. But it to me, see, it, it, this needs to be a feature-length film right now.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: I mean, the story is so so current.
1: Yes. Hmm. Yes, it is. Um, are you thinking about making it a feature-length film?
5: Well, no, I'm almost eighty now,
4: and so I'm kind of past that. But I'm, I mean, I'm thrilled that this film that I made sixty something years ago, or thirty something years ago, or whatever it was, mm-hmm. is is still current. And I'm yeah. thrilled that they've chosen it to be in this film festival. Uh, mm-hmm. The women are all gone now, and in fact, when I did interview them, like I said, it was in 1995, 96, and those those four women. On that uh, interview panel were the l- leaders other than Adolphine Fletcher Terry, uh, who had al- had passed away, and she, w- it was held at her house, the first meeting. Mm-hmm. Velma Powell was the, um, one of the interviewers, and she's passed away now. She lived in North Carolina, and I went to North Carolina to interview her. Her husband was J.O. Powell, who was the... I think he was the principal of boys at Central High. And so mm-hmm. there was stuff going on back and forth during the first year, or the the uh, Little Rock Nine year, that was going on back and forth so they could know that somebody was going to try to hurt the, the kids or whatever, and then they would alert their people. I mean, it's just, it's just so fascinating. I really loved it. I just mm-hmm. thought it was so important to save that history.
1: Oh, definitely, definitely. yeah, because, you know, I've I've never heard of it. Um, you know, definitely Not you know I've heard of the Little Rock, Rock. Rock Nine, but nothing about I mean it it's it's just really um I don't know, I think it's important to know about, you know, what what our allies are doing, uh, because you know, one would think there were no good white people. <laughs> you know, um well, no, uh, I there in Little Rock.
4: Mm-hmm. That's why I wanted to tell the story so badly, because to me, Little Rock got a really bad reputation during the Little Rock Nine year. And then mm-hmm. here we come back to the next year, and these women came forward and fought diligently, and they got it re- they got it turned around. So we got to go back to school. That's important mm-hmm. to me. And the fact – and they, they only had white members – of the women's emergency committee because if there were any black people involved they would have had a lot of people not join just because of mm-hmm. the time of the of the history you know and so right. they met with they they would meet with daisy bates and uh one of the ladies was telling me that she she'd get in the car and get down on the floor and put a have a scarf on and they would drive somewhere and she would tell them her information, and then it would go back to the women's emergency committee, and they do whatever they could. Hmm.
1: Wow. Yeah.
4: Yeah. I think it's so Uh-oh. fascinating. I, I really do. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, um, you know, sort of the uh, military ec- uh, escorts, and and you know, sort of ignoring what the government. The, you know the president is saying. I mean, Governor this is just like wow, wow. And then I just love, you know, when the women put on their nice clothes and they went to court. Who was the, the really pretty <laughs> lady that um, was the, one of the four women that you were interviewing? I mean, she didn't even look that she, like she was an elder. Um, she had you uh, know no, hair she was, was
4: younger. Yeah, she was okay. one of the younger mothers.
1: And they Mm -hmm. joined
4: because they could see the writing on the wall about what was going to happen, you know. Mm -hmm. And so that was Pat House. And she became the leader of the Women's Emergency Committee eventually. Mm -hmm. She's just so bright. But she's – I I don't know if she's still living or – I talked to her son several years ago, and he Mm -hmm. said that she was very healthy. But she could she couldn't remember anything, mm-hmm. and so I didn't get to talk to her. And that was like eight years ago or so. But the women's me- the membership list was then uh, when we had this. Uh, I guess what I think it was the 40th anniversary in Little Rock of the Terry of the Women's Emergency Committee. Uh, Hillary Clinton was the. You know the keynotes, and during that event they had um, they had engraved on the side of the Terry mansion on their solarium the names of all the members mm-hmm. and Now mm-hmm. the Terry mansion is in disrepair, and we're trying to help them save it and rebuild it
1: okay, good, that's good, yeah, yeah. Um, now, the
4: other film mm. I made, The last Year, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, it tells the story of the students and the, and the teachers. Because the year the schools were closed, the teachers had to sit in, in empty classrooms. So, they, I mean, because the students were not there, you know,
2: mm-hmm. but they mm-hmm. were under
4: contract. And then Governor Faubus was trying to change all of the public school buildings over to private schools which they didn't let him do that. Mm -hmm. But Governor Faubus was an opportunist. He wanted to be elected again. And that the majority of people back in those days did not want to have us desegregate the schools. Most Mm -hmm. of the kids didn't care. In fact, they had all kinds of uh, contests about the children. What did you think? And the majority of Students at all the high schools said we we don't mind integration. You know, it was Mm -hmm. it was our the generation of our parents really that were still Mm
1: -hmm. stuck.
4: But it see it's so current now.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It really is current now. um, You know, with young people, um, you know, sort of taking it to the streets last year and continuing. Uh, to lift their voices around, um, you know, around equity and and justice and uh, human rights, you know, for black people. Uh, Oh, absolutely. mm Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I just love the way, um, you know, we we find out what the title means, The Giants Wore White Gloves, and, um, you know, how the women would speak on the floor, you know. um, Yes of of the um was it the, the assembly oh the, state, um, the
4: legislature yeah the, the legislature, legislature they right. go to the legislature and they would mm-hmm. literally turn things around you know because of going down there and meeting because as pat house says in the film they didn't know what to do with us we mm-hmm. were women we had our, our little hats and our little white gloves and we and she was saying we could catch him coming out of the restroom. We could catch him by going on the floor of the Senate. And, uh, you know, they just did what they had to do, really. And they had quite a few people. I don't know whether you noticed or not, but in the film, it keeps showing how many people joined as the film progresses. Everybody had to pay a dollar to be a member uh, and you were talking about the police. The police would sit outside the Terry Mansion and write down the the uh, license plates of the women that were in there at a meeting. And some of the women, were, and they, when they found out about them, the, their husbands would lose their businesses. I mean, you mm-hmm. had to be careful, you know. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mhm. Right. Right. And then, and then the teachers. The teachers got fired. Um, I mean, well, they, you know,
4: yeah, they, they, actually the teachers weren't fired. They were under contract Mm -hmm. and they were teaching each other classes, as I understand it, because they were just sitting in these empty classrooms. But then they started using them as uh, substitute teachers.
2: Mm -hmm. And that's really,
4: that's, that's in the other, the other film's about, uh, uh the kind of the history lesson of it all the statistics how many people were put out of school how many people found a school to go to how many didn't you know <clears throat> and uh white kids had transportation so they had an easier time of it than black children
1: hmm right yeah 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 it's um yeah i, I really really um like this film, and I definitely want to see um the other film, the lost years um sort of um yes, too bad, um you know it was like a double feature, so that would be kind of cool <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well,
4: the last year will will be up on YouTube uh, at some point,
1: mm-hmm.
4: and so will the yeah. Giants, by the way, but I don't know when that's gonna happen, mm,
1: mm-hmm. mhm. Yeah, yeah. Why don't you give your websites because you have a couple, and uh, and tell people what they can find on each one. And I want to let everyone know that uh, the Giants Wore White Gloves is a part of the civil rights programming, and um, and it's a uh, as all the uh, guests uh, this morning, it's a part of the annual Legacy Film Festival on Aging, uh, which begins on May twenty fourth and goes until the thirty first. It's presented virtually. And you can get your tickets now, and they are quite reasonable, $8 per program, which features more than one film, obviously. And an all-festival pass is a reasonable $50 because you're going to want to watch all the films. And you can get your passes and tickets uh, and information about the festival at LegacyFilmFestivalOnAging.org. So, yes, can you tell us your... um, uh, your websites, and what people can find on them? 'cause they're they are quite a study within themselves I mean they're like history books your website <laughs> well thank
4: you uh that we we produced a website called the it's
1: the
4: dot com all one word all lower case, and that really is the story when we gathered there was a history professor, Dr. Sandra Gordy, who assisted me. On this to make sure all the historical information was correct. And so she and I raised money, excuse me, she and I raised money to um, produce this website. So it's www.thelostyear.com. The other website is uh, www.sandrahubbard, all lowercase, all one word, dot com. And that's Tells the history of the three films I made.
1: Right. Um, um, so I didn't think um, we talked about two of them. What's the third film?
4: Oh, it's called Steve's Show. I had made, uh, and it's about a dance party that was that preceded uh, American Bandstand and Soul Train. Oh, really?
1: Yeah. There's one that preceded yeah, them. I, I remember American Bandstand, but that was it. That was the beginning for me, really. Yeah. Huh.
4: Yeah. It's a lot of fun. I just made that. It was the second film I made because I just needed to lighten up a bit. I mean, the 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 lost year and the Giants for White gloves are very heavy subjects, mm-hmm. you know, and so I just wanted to do a fun one, and um, I really. <laughs> I I'm very, very proud of saving the history of these of this year, this last year. I hope that I hope people find out about it.
1: Because it's so pertinent right now. Oh, certainly. It certainly is. Yeah, yeah. Wow, well thank you so much for for the work and, and please, you know, let me know if someone takes on expanding um, you know, this film um, on the Giants into a feature, that will be a really great project.
4: Isn't that wonderful? I'm just trying to figure out who I can
1: talk into helping me do that. Oh, well, it shouldn't be a hard sell because you already done, you know, like quite a bit of the legwork, you know, it's just, you know, basically sort of, you know, making the story bigger, you know, expanding the story because um, yeah. I, I think there is interest
4: I hope so. I really mm-hmm. do. My own classmates didn't really know what had happened that year. Mm-hmm. You know, we were just all scattered everywhere. So um, it's it's still, to me, a fascinating story, and I'm glad you liked it too.
1: Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's been really, really wonderful speaking to you. Um, do you have any closing remarks about, you know, being a filmmaker, um, about the work, or about this festival?
4: I appreciate the festival for uh, showing the film. I do have a th- – there is a – what we call a stinger at the end of the film where Adolphine Fletcher Cherry is quoted, uh, and it, it is about how it, she didn't – it didn't matter if you were a, a black person invited someone's party or wedding. That wasn't integration. Integration is human dignity.
1: Mhm. Yes. Yes, that's a really good point. I really really yeah, that was a, that's a great. I'm glad you 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 mentioned that. That was really really wonderful. Um uh you know, part of the film. Mhm. Yes.
4: No, I just loved it. I loved it mm-hmm. that I found that I had been listening to an interview of a of, uh a dolphin and there were dogs barking in the background. And you couldn't really hear the sound and then they stopped barking. She made that comment, and and I got to grab it and put it at the end of the film. I thought it was just so appropriate.
1: Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely <laughs> appropriate. <laughs> Super.
2: Uh, <laughs> thank well, thank you. you. So thank much. you so
1: much um, for this wonderful conversation. And, uh, yeah, I look forward to other conversations.
4: Uh, thank you, Wanda. I really appreciate your interest.
1: Oh,
4: you're Have quite a wonderful
3: welcome. Have
1: You, too. Peace and blessings. Bye. Hmm. Uh, Good morning, David Wilde, and your director of today was a good day. And uh, Kat, uh, Katanya, Kat Brown, um, your mother, you and your mother are, are subjects in the film. Wonderful, wonderful story. Thank you so much, both of you, for joining us. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank oh, you. Oh, you're welcome. Oh, you're quite welcome. I was so excited, um, you know, Kat, that you would be joining uh, David to talk about today was a good day. And because uh, I, I just really loved, you know, those moments. I mean, I loved all the moments with, you know, that, that you captured, David, in the film about, um, you know, caregivers, you know, and, um and and sort of what what that involves. I mean, we we think about it, but we don't think about it until I guess we're in it. And and I just loved your you know showing your relationship um, with with your mom, Kat. It was just so beautiful, and she was so beautiful. You know, like your mother is really attractive, and then you're really beautiful too. So it was just like really nice. <laughs> uh, I mean, the cinematography, like, oh man, it's like awesome. <laughs>
6: <laughs> Thank you. I I do appreciate that, and um, yeah. I I must also mention that since then I lost my mom in October. Um, mm-hmm. Not COVID related, but um, you know I I think that this even more so is uh, a testament to our relationship, and I'm very very thankful that I had the opportunity to memorialize our relationship in such a great way uh and being a part of this project for sure.
1: Mhm. Yeah, yeah. So let me read your bios um uh and uh I'll start I'll start with yours um cat since it's right here in front of me. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, let's see. So uh Katanya Cat Brown was born and raised in Detroit. Uh, she is a small business owner, freelance virtual assistant of Virtually Possible 365, and, and that is a website too, folks, uh, and newly launched business <laughs> social media deactivation service Digital Footprint Consulting, author of Love Notes, a caregiver's journal. What's the uh, copyright on that? Like is that recent or you did it a while back? Oh, no, two thousand uh,
6: 2000, uh 2019, 2000. Oh, it's pretty recent. Yes, it's uh, on Amazon actually. So okay, um,
2: yeah.
6: After the experience of the documentary, Mm -hmm. it really kind of sparked my creative juices, and you know, just giving others the opportunity to really capture moments when you know caregivers don't have a lot of time often to think about these things and. Especially in the progression of their day to day, so I thought it might be a good idea to give people at least you know a, a, a vehicle to you know write things down and document their relationship with their loved one.
1: hmm Right. Yeah. 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 I, I. I. You know. As I was watching and I was like, Wow. Um, uh, David, where were you? I mean, I your your presence is, is so. You're not present, which is great. Um, but your camera's there, and I'm like, how are you doing this? Every people are just like, just opening up and just sharing their lives, and 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 you're capturing this. Like, how did you do that? That is just so amazing. Um, okay. And then, Kat, you um, you were taking care of your mother from 1991 until October 2020. Yeah. So, David, how did you do this? This is like yeah like invisible camera work how did you do
7: that <laughs> well thanks uh you know i i think um we had a very small footprint. It was just uh the cameraman and I was doing sound uh which mm-hmm. is i think a kind of a great way to direct. It's really kind of hard for sure, but it um it keeps a footprint really small because you know i i mean anytime there's somebody watching something then they kind of the experiment changes that uh, there's mm-hmm. some, some kind of law of physics of that and sally the producer was usually standing outside but nearby and always listening so that she could help us remotely but um the biggest thing is um to just gain the trust of the people and i think i mean we did find some amazing people and we also um i mean i'm just so thankful that they would share their stories with us um you know, and I'm sincerely interested in them. You know, I really care about them, and you know, uh, it. And so, it, it's a weird kind of relationship. It's it's a wonderful kind of gift, really, more than anything. Um, mm. Because I mean, Cat was just. I mean, she spent a lot of time with us, and you know, it was very personal and very emotional, and um, and I know it was hard for her. It was hard for all the people, but. You know, Kat and her mom had a very unique relationship, being basically an only child. And and, um, and her mom really was a pretty special person. I mean, I didn't know her in her, I don't know if you want to say prime, but, you know, she was definitely, you know, she had problems. But, gosh, she just had this smile. And you know how when you connect with somebody with their eyes, you know, even if she's looking at me a little harshly because the cameraman just (laughs) stepped on her foot, you know. But, I mean, she still was just, she but I I I mean she I I imagine she is a very she was a very loving person and cuz that came through.
1: Yeah, yeah. And um yeah, David, your your bio is is it's um it's more like a narrative, but it says that uh <laughs> and uh folks can read it on your website as well. But uh you write that um you can't really pin down David Wilde to one particular style and that's his intention. Why do only the same thing again and again, he asked. <laughs> From his ultra-short ultra short, 10-second ultra short, films for MTV, the several documentaries, music videos, or the concert film he co-directed with David Byrne, and the over 1,000 television commercials he has directed, the one thing they all have in common is that they make you look at the world a little differently. In March 2020, uh, he writes that, He and his team were able to remotely finish a new documentary, Today Was a Good Day, that focuses on the daily lives of three caregivers for people with dementia. And um, I'm not sure if I'm going to read all that because you can just say it to us, right? So talk about (laughs) Today Was a Good Day. (laughs) And the three people you follow, one of them, um, you know, right with us now, Kat. And how did you convince Kat and the other folks to let you do this?
7: (laughs) That's a good question. Um, Well, we were kind of uh, uh, hired by the Ralph Wilson Jr. Foundation uh, Mm -hmm. to create a film that would empower caregivers. And there's some astounding statistic like a third or 30% of all caregivers die before the people they're taking care of because they don't take care of themselves. And so my producer Sally and I, we we were – we were going to shoot the we knew we were going to shoot this in either buffalo, new york or southeastern michigan cuz that's where the ralph wilson foundation uh focuses a lot of their attention and um so we scouted buffalo and we scouted detroit but um there was just something about the people there i mean the people in buffalo were fantastic but the people in detroit it just seemed there was something just really special and then we met dr paula duran who runs the um mm-hmm. caregivers for were people's dementia group and and it just felt like this is a perfect way to tell this story and so i mean we met cat and you know um i just heard her story and i think that you know it's not only i have to gain their trust but they have to understand that you know that i'm kind of trustworthy i guess mm-hmm. um, and you know cuz it's a big it's a big ask. There's a lot of time you're having to spend with these people. And um, I don't know, Kat, what, what did you think? We we met at like a restaurant or something, right? This was way before COVID when you could meet at restaurants without masks and stuff.
6: <laughs> yeah. Um, actually, how I became a part of this is my mom was a part of a, a program called the Senior Alliance. And her... Um, her case coordinator said that there was a documentary uh, that they were looking for participants and would I be interested? I was like, okay, sure. You know, not thinking anything particular about it, but after kind of corresponding with the producer, I really, I enjoyed Sally so much. We had such a great conversation and, um, you know, I as one of my clients is a documentary documentarian uh, for, you know, the one percenters of the world, and she basically can create legacy films for them. And I said, well, I would love that opportunity to have something like that, but I can't afford, you know, the price tag on that. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, this is a gift. And... As David said, it's a gift. It's a gift for me. It's a gift for us. And on the first day that we met, actually, David, we met at my mom's apartment first um, to interview us together. And on the way there, I actually, I think I I was profoundly struck by the importance of this moment, and that God has placed something in in front of me, and I actually started crying because I was like, this is really something that I will have for the rest of my life, and I didn't know, obviously, at the time that my mom would, would be leaving me so soon, but... Um, it's it's a great gift for me to have at this this time in my life, for sure. So it wasn't really convincing. It was it was a gift that I was I was in a, a position to receive.
7: Hmm. Hmm. I guess that's right, Kat. You know, I've got pictures from that meeting. I don't know if I ever sent you some. No. Um, I'll have to do that. I will. <laughs> we met a lot of people back then, you know, it was kind of that I think casting to me is is the hardest part of filmmaking, whether it's a documentary or whatever because especially mm-hmm. with a documentary because then you're you know, I'm not the kind of guy that goes in there and like Shoots a bunch of stuff and then just hands it over to an editor, or shoots a bunch of stuff and then hands it over to a writer to write narration to fill in the blanks or anything. I want the people to tell the story, no matter what it is. And so casting is super important. And and there's an openness, you know. I think you know, Kat, you were you were willing to share, you know, yeah. um, and and that that is it's just that's why I say it's a gift, you know, for somebody to 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 trust you like that. And and the one thing I got to say about this film is that, you know, unlike well some of the other stuff I've worked on, it's um this is it really has I think empowered caregivers because it's been a it's been kind of a tool. And maybe this is true for you too, Kat, but you know, it's every time it screens or every time somebody sees it, then then they come back and they share their story with me or with you. And because everybody has been affected by caregiving you know if if they're our age you know and they have older parents or whatever you know um they have some kind of experience with it and and i think sharing your story is like one of the most important things that that a person can do as a human you know because then you get to know other people and you know that vulnerability that you give when you do that is um It's super valuable I mean That's a gift You know I keep saying gift Mm. Well it is
6: I mean It is
7: Yeah
6: And Mm -hmm. the vulnerability Of You know Sharing your story With someone else Is It is empowering And it is also um, It's fulfilling You know And it also lets you know You're not alone
7: Yeah Mm. Yeah And that's really important Don't you think
6: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, there there are a lot of people that do this, and at the end of the day, they just feel like, oh my god, I'm by myself. And when you hear somebody else's story, you realize you're not. You you and it it makes you get up and put your foot in front of the other the next day as well.
1: Hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, before um I ask you um to uh to share with us um the you know, the other other persons and, and families that are part of this, this wonderful work. Uh, David, could you um could you share a story um uh with your mom? It doesn't have to be from the film, um uh cat. Um yeah, if you could share um yeah, share share a story with your mom. Um, there were some really wonderfuls in the, wonderful ones in the film, but, you know, you don't have to stay in the film because you have a whole life to choose from. <laughs> <laughs> that
2: is true. And everything.
6: <laughs> um, I mean, gosh, there's, there's, it is a lifetime. I mean, my mom and I, um, my parents divorced when I was, like, six, so... She and I became best friends at a very early age, and and our connections were always, like, spot on. You know, she was my mom, of course, but she talked to me like I was um, a friend. And even when she had to discipline me, it was. I knew out of love, even, and she hated it, but it was a necessary evil, I guess you could say. And I, I said remarks when at her funeral, and I'm not sure if this is. It's it's not vulgar or anything like that. Let's just be clear. But you know, when I say that she talked to me like a friend. Um, My birds and bees conversation was pretty insightful, and it was pretty terrifying almost because was pretty graphic in the process of birds and bees, but I came away like, oh, my God, I'm never going to do that. And I I knew (laughs) that it was a place of love, but she was a straight shooter. She, you know, was funny and her facial expressions. Um, I, I, I miss those things about her, and I think um, we just had a way to connect with, with each other. And, yeah, it was difficult to have to move her from independent living. She had fell and broke her hip, and... Um, Once I had to make the decision to move her into assisted living, it was hard for both of us. I mean, I don't want to... She was always independent, so the last thing I wanted to do was usurp her independence. But my primary concern was always her safety and Mm -hmm. her care. So having to make that decision to move her into assisted living, it was a challenge but I will say that after she had been there for about a year, one night I was—I want to say—tucking her in bed, but I was getting ready to leave from our visit, and she was in bed, and she said, "I know that it wasn't easy for you to do this, but I'm sure you sleep better at night knowing that I'm okay." Hmm.
2: And wow, I.
6: It was. I said, Mom, you have no idea. It has been a relief. I know that this is not ideal, but I need to make sure that you are taken care of. And I have been sleeping a lot better knowing that if anything happens to you, there's somebody here. And Mm -hmm. she closed my hand and gave me a kiss and a hug, and I think that that lifted a lot of the weight off my shoulders. So... You know, even in some of the hardest decisions, it was nice that she recognized that it came from a place of love.
2: Mm-hmm.
6: Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. so as Mother's Day is, you know, this weekend, I'm struggling yeah. <laughs> tremendously. Mm-hmm. But um, I have a lot of support, and I've done the things to, to kind of get myself I don't know if you can prepare for this, but I have a plan in place, and I you know, talk to a, a good support group and therapist, and so I'm trying to keep myself mentally as healthy as possible during this this process of of grief. And um, but this is going to be a hard one.
1: hmm Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um in in the film, which is really really wonderful, um because everyone who is um you know a, a subject in in the work with their their mothers. Uh, it's so interesting there are they're all mothers no, no fathers um that um you know sort of the whole thing around memory what is memory um becomes the question because there are there are lots of ways to remember um and and lots of ways to know and you don't know that you know these particular spaces exist until you are confronted with uh the not knowing the way you the way you're used to being known. So that's that's really interesting. Um and, and you you uh you share that, you know, cat with your mom, but then everyone is sort of looking at that question. Um and since I don't know everyone's names per se, but um so, so, David, that's where you come in to help me by <laughs> <Not> letting <laughs> us know the cast. <laughs> like, you know, the wonderful son who takes care of his mom. Roger, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What's his mom I name?
7: think Kat, Kat also had an interesting point because she talked about not only did she not want her mom to remember, to remember to, to forget who she was, but she wondered mm-hmm. what it was like for her mom to not know who her daughter was which I thought that was an, you know, an interesting kind of um, perspective that I hadn't thought of. Yeah, but no, the, um, I mean, partially the whole thing, you know, and there are so many different forms of dementia, you know, and I'm no expert, but they, um, you know, the one thing that Dr. Paula keeps mentioning is that it's a brain disease, and they may do things or say things, these people that, they love you, but some of these things, you know, are a little bit kind of frightening, and and that happens to all those people, or it just takes a tremendous amount of patience, you know. Like Marla and her mom, who just keeps repeating things over and over again. I mean, we spent you know a few days with her, but Marla lives with us every day, and and you know you can't just you know bark back at your mom. You just ask me that, you know. You just have to keep answering, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. it takes a tremendous, and that that's what,
1: yeah. 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 But then there are these you know, those sweet moments, you know, with Marla and her mom, you know, where um the uh is it her granddaughter or great granddaughter they, yeah, yeah, they're playing checkers. And uh yeah. that's really sweet. Um uh, how how do you yeah. how like how are you there to capture these moments? Like are you living with these folks? I mean, how are you doing this?
7: <laughs> we just spent a lot of time with them. Um and mm-hmm. uh, you know this stuff, and that's you know when you're talking about with a small crew, then you're nimble enough to to react or adjust to things like that. Like mm-hmm. um, I can't remember Marla's uh, daughter, I believe she's a detective with the Detroit Police, and so in the afternoon sometimes her granddaughter um, comes over, Athalia's great granddaughter, in the afternoon, and so they're both they're both in the house at the same time, and that's when. You know, and it's just, their relationship was great, you know, because, Mm -hmm. you know, you could just see that they loved each other, and I mean, and the rules were very flexible for chess, which the the granddaughter was fine (laughs) with, you know, so it's just, I don't know, that, you know, we were, I guess we're lucky, you know, it's kind of like fishing, you you study as much as you can and you kind of try and prepare as much as you can and get all your tools all together and everything but then sometimes it's just the weather or you know what's in the river that day i mean it's you know it's it's it, it, i firmly believe in doing your homework and um you know and i think with with all these few i tried to learn as much about it, it's kind of and it's kind of tough because you know you don't want to like talk too much because you'd like to be filming you know so as, as far as like your your research and work that you're doing ahead of time
1: you know mm-hmm.
7: but um, you know so it's I don't know but it's really really fun because you never know exactly what's going to happen you know so it's it's exciting that way you know and but mm-hmm. the, well, the biggest case for me was at one point uh, the executive producer at um, Lafayette American. They were the company that we the work that we worked with in between Ralph Wilson. She'd suggested that you know maybe we give these people GoPros and they could do little video diaries. And so mm-hmm. you know we 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 shot with the people and then we took a break and then we gave them these GoPros. And for some right, reason, um, uh, Rogers didn't work or something. There, there were some technical things, but. I'll never forget coming back to Detroit to shoot the second uh, series of um, the, the second uh, portion and watching the GoPro and seeing Kat because Kat's biggest concern, like it says in the film, was whether or not her mom would forget her name. And that happened. And so I'm sitting in this motel room in Detroit watching this video, and I'm going, oh, my gosh, it happened. And And so then I knew. So we were going to go back with Kat to see her mom, and I knew it could either go one of two ways. Either Kat's mom wouldn't recognize her, which would be real, and it would mm-hmm. be sad, or Kat's mom would recognize her, which would be uplifting and empowering, even though it may only last for that one day, because Kat could come back the next day and your mom might not recognize her. So I was all kind of nervous about how and what would happen when that happened. And her mom was downstairs waiting in the lobby, and she recognized Kat, and it's just like it was it was a really, I don't know, it's one of my favorite parts of my life so far. So that one worked out. But you just don't know what's going to happen, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Uh, Kat, do you want to talk about that moment? Because we were with you um, talking audience. <laughs> sure. Well, I mean, I was holding my
6: breath, <laughs> for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's a bit ang- a, uh, of an anxious moment. You know, I mean, you, <clears throat> you know that there's a 50-50 shot that this could go either way. You know, either she is going to have a good day or she was not. And so the anxiety that builds up of... Like trying to mentally prepare yourself is not the easiest thing to do, you know, because you, you, when it first happens, it's a gut punch. So how do you prepare yourself for another gut punch?
7: Yeah, and then you and got you don't really three, know. It, three people yeah. following you around.
6: <laughs> yes, and then there's that component as well. Um, but I was... I was thankful that that was was a good day, and that you know the excitement that my mom always felt when she saw me was there, and they were able to catch that moment as well. So that that'll that continues to be a gift to me. Again, is to be able to relive that moment of there she is, or yeah. there's my baby. That, I mean, I can hear her voice. I can feel that excitement. I can feel that warmth right now.
7: And then so. just after that, in the elevator right up to her room, that's when she said, somebody put tears on my face. Tears
6: on my face. And I'm just oh, like, was,
7: to me, that's one of the most beautiful things because it's like, it's, she's kind of not taking credit for her own own emotion, you know. Exactly,
6: it's somebody else. You know, yeah. like, "Oh, okay. Really? Somebody put tears on your face." Wow.
7: Mm. So,
6: you just kind of go along with it.
7: That's my favorite line <laughs> of the whole
1: movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh wow, gosh. that's beautiful. Mhm. Yeah. There's so many so many wonderful moments um in uh today was a good day and then I remember when when I when I heard it and it was like, wow, what a great title! <laughs> Today was a good day, <laughs> and yeah, and and then I I think about um uh what's the uh other person who you mentioned his name and then I lost it cause I didn't Roger
7: name. or Marla Roger,
1: Roger. yeah Roger yeah like he and his mom are dancing aren't they Yep, it's yeah, very yeah, so that's heck of sweet and any you know yeah and then you know his faith um you know is a real driver, but the whole idea of of having you know your mom or your your mom you know she's not the mom that that raised you, you know, and sort of you know looking at how you know as caregivers, you know the various persons in the work, this film today was a good day um have to you know, have to shift, because now you are the parent. And and we see, you know, sort of how that's a real struggle. I mean, it's not like, oh, I got it. It's like every, there's like it keeps on, like you keep on facing this. Okay, this is my mom, but I'm taking care of her. We just see it. And and Kat, I think you're in the car. I'm not sure. But, you know, we see like your preparation, you know, in advance. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you get the crying mm-hmm. out of the way, you get the, Whatever, so you can have your game face on, you know, when you when you go in to see your mom, and and that's you know and sort of indicative of the other persons who are also a part of of the of this film, um, yeah, it's just that's one thing that makes it just like wow, so it makes it so human and so beautiful, because you know you don't have to do this; you do have a choice. Some people don't do this; they give everything over to um, an institution to take care of their parents. and they're oh, yeah. not there I at all. No, the one thing that I, I refuse to to do,
6: and this is just a testament to who my mom was, she didn't raise me to be that person, um, first of all. Um, but I'm not going to store my mother or house her there until she dies. And that is one of the, the worst things that I, I can see. I also worked in assisted living for Almost two years, and you know it's it's sad that that seems to be the the thought process is you know I'm just gonna put mom there or dad there until they die, and then you know I don't have to really engage and even where my mom lived you know it it was it was sad that holidays You know, Mm. residents would get excited to see me because I'm seeing my mother. Mm
2: -hmm.
6: Mother's Day, Christmas, Thanksgiving, you know, they're there and there's no one to visit them. And so their excitement for my mother was apparent because their faces would light up just to know that There's one person that's sharing the holiday with them. Mm
1: -hmm. And
6: uh, I, I found that sad. And I also, you know, I know that people have gone with me on a holiday to visit, and it's hard for other people to witness if you're empathetic. You know, if you really are a caring individual, it's hard to see someone else with that look in their eye of loneliness and despair because they know that no one is going to come and bring them a meal or, you know, bring them presents or just there to spend time with them. So housing my mother was never an option. And, you know, my mom was always concerned about being a burden and me not living my life. But I would always say, you know, my her mom, my grandmother, preceded her obviously and I said you know if your mom was still alive would you like abandon her and she's mm-hmm. like no I said so you you, <clears throat> you didn't raise me to be like that mm-hmm. so I'm going to love you until the end mm-hmm. we're a package we were a package deal <laughs> and you know any dating that happened we're a package if you don't like her, you don't like me. If you have an issue with me taking care of my mom, then you have an issue with me, so it's really up to you
1: but we we were a package, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, real beautiful package uh, yeah <laughs> thank you what yeah, really nice, yeah. Um, so now, you know, you, you finish the work and, and you have this wonderful keepsake, uh, cat and David, you have this wonderful work, which is a part of your, you know, um, your catalog, so to speak, um, uh, sort of in reflecting on it, um, David, what were you expecting and, and what, what what is the most pleasant surprise of the work and then and then cat um what made you say yes um i mean you didn't know sort of i mean i guess you knew did you know um, yeah what made you say yes to to telling your story so publicly oh so david you can,
7: <laughs> yeah, go ahead
1: david you can go first <laughs> well you know i
7: think it's it's funny uh what surprised me I think the most is, um, you know, I spent several weeks with these people and then more than that editing it with um, my friend who we've cut stuff forever. And when I came back to Detroit for the post, this was January, just before everything was kind of shutting down. Um, I was just so excited to see these people. And, and you know, it's like we met Roger at some place at some place at he restaurant that he really wanted me and Sally to go to one afternoon and I just ran up to him and I was just all smiles and I gave him a big hug and Roger's a big guy and he's just like hey what's going on you know, I said I'm just so excited to see Roger <laughs> but he didn't realize that I've been watching him backwards and forwards and backwards and over and over again for weeks mm-hmm. you know just what he gave me was that same kind of gift. And it was the same with Kat. We went out for dinner, and it was just, you know, just to be able to, to to actually talk to her and get answers, because I'd been watching her and listening to her, but now there she was in person, and I could talk to her, and I could have her meet the editor who'd spent time, you know, with her, you know, on a screen for all that time. So I guess, you know, the film is such a weird thing. This is just kind of this two-dimensional kind of, like, framed moment but it's it's so much more than that you know it's it's all the stuff that goes in and around it and like i said the life that it takes on afterwards um you know because it really is a tool and and i mean since then and i don't want to dwell on this but my mom's kind of devolved into dementia and i had no idea that this would happen and so my little sister is kind of the main caregiver she moved into the house and immediately sent her cat's journal and she's kept just the funniest recollections you know and it's all about those kind of role reversals like you're talking about you know where she'll say um, she'll say to my little sister so how long have you worked here you know it's like <laughs> or she'll my and karen calls my mom she, she refers to her as our new mom because she's definitely not there's the parts that are there but it's it's a whole different kind of relationship and So, I mean, that's become, you know, so the film kind of was a preamble or it helped me prepare because I've definitely used all of the things that Dr. Paula talked about, but you need reminders. You Mm -hmm. need to just kind of check yourself. And I'm sure that was true with you too, Kat, you know what I mean? Because even preparing yourself for the forgetting the name, you know, because Dr. Paula, you went to that session before, your mom mm-hmm. forgot the name, so you had the yeah. tools and what to do and why it wasn't important. But still, and you mentioned that in the movie, you know that all kind of falls aside when you're dealing with the, uh, with reality. It's tough. Oh
6: gosh, yeah, all of that goes out the window. You know, i like I said, I worked in assisted living. You were trained to handle these situations, um, but it's it's a completely different animal when it happens in that moment because, again, you are not expecting it. You are completely thrown off. The last time I saw my mom, she was fine. Um, and so why would I think on Thanksgiving that she would not know? Because I'm all excited. I'm like, okay, I'm, I've prepared her favorite stuff, and, you know, there's things that she asked for. And ah, and, and she was afraid it, of you. It was all putting because she was just like, Uncomfortable around me, and I'm—I mean, I'm not sure which was worse: the fact that she didn't recognize or you know who I was, or that she was so uncomfortable around me yeah. that I was a complete stranger. So, um, yeah, it, it's—it's a—it's a tough one. You—you you don't remember training and you know the tools that you're supposed to use. So you—you you go with. the the raw emotion that you feel at that point in time. Mm. Mm
2: -hmm.
6: But you asked, why did I say yes? Um, You know, I I guess, if anything, I'm an adventurous person. So (laughs) I was like, wow, I didn't have this on my bucket list to, you know, be in a documentary. So let's see what happens. And, you know, why not? Why why not? And also, and my mom always was a person that shared information and, you know, shared knowledge, and she was never that person to keep things to herself. So anytime I, I would know something and someone asked me a question or whatever, I always was the person to share. And this was just another opportunity really for me to, to just say, to share. I mean, I know that this journey that we had was for a reason. And my mom has always said, everything happens for a reason. So understanding that that is true and, and having that be uh, a mantra in our lives, I, I knew it was is, is important for this to happen. And, you know, now as my friends are going through similar situations, uh, I, I've become the go-to person, you know, when they have questions. Or, you know, now those that have had, you know, some input, not anything all, you know, necessarily negative. It's just, well, you know, why can't you do this? Or I don't understand why you don't do that. And now that the shoe is on the other foot, it's like, oh, my God, I had no idea. Mm -hmm. Well, it's not as easy as you think it is when, Mm -hmm. you know, you're going through it yourself. And you can have a lot of advice from people, but not everything works. So now it's, you know, taking the information that I have, you know, acquired in my catalog of my own and, I still continue to share. Um, Out of the screening of this documentary, I met a really uh, wonderful woman who is a part of the Michigan Dementia Coalition. And um, we are working on a project specifically targeting the black community and dementia and Alzheimer's. And after the screening, she reached out to me and was like, I have a project I'd really love to run by you. And I said, you know, because, again, I'm all about sharing information and sharing knowledge, and I'm really trying to figure out what my purpose is uh, as well, and I am super proud of where we are with this. We are in the stages of we have eight participants who are early onset dementia, and for the past, almost two months, if not over two months. We have been meeting with them once a week and asking guided questions. Uh, And it's a compilation of those questions that we have each been, uh, I don't want to say assigned. I I asked for the two people I wanted to work with specifically um, to create a letter or a script that will be shared based on their story and how... Dementia is they're living with the disease, you know, and it again, it will it's targeting the black community. So, we had a meeting actually this morning, all the leaders, oh. and just to go over the first drafts of the scripts that we've created, and it's so profound. It's so, I. I can't wait till all of this is put together and we start to actually present this because these are some of the most powerful people that I've come across just because of their outlook on life. They've been diagnosed with the disease and we all know the outcome, but they have the best energy and they're all advocates, they're all speaking up for themselves in this disease, and just such a great disposition that they inspire me. So we've come up with some really great material for them in their own voices. And I am so excited to be a part of this project. So I just continue to build a legacy based on my mom. And I'm hoping that I'm
1: doing her proud as well. Yeah, well, I, I'm sure you are because your mother is living. You know, as long as you speak her name, and uh, and you also look like your mom. <laughs>
6: yeah, well, thank you. <laughs> All right. I I appreciate the fact that um, as I get older, I look more and more like her, and you know the the gene pool is doing pretty good with the uh skin um considering she was 82 and didn't have a wrinkle so i'm hoping that i will continue that as well uh <laughs> in in my 50s and as i continue to grow older gracefully
1: Hmm. right yeah 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 i wish i'd had your book um when we were my brother and i were taking care of our dad um he had renal renal failure uh among other oh, things sorry. and uh yeah, and I, I have I have stories in my mind, but it would have been really cool for, because it was like a family thing. We all took care of my, my daddy. Um,
2: mm-hmm. We moved him
1: closer to me, and I was like the main person. My brothers stayed with him. My children, they t- helped take care of their grandfather uh, until, until he passed. And it would have been really cool to have a place where everybody could, like, when we were just sitting with him, you know, before right. we left. While he was sleeping, just jot down some stories. That was such a wonderful keepsake. Um, you know, I guess maybe twenty or so years later now. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. And that that also was a motivation. It's like a, a scrapbook. I mean, mm-hmm. you know,
6: you can have this information, you know, to to kind of keep those memories alive.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, this is such a beautiful work and and uh you all are a part- your film today was a good day as a part of the caring It's many dimensions um which is um again a part of the legacy film festival on aging the tenth annual that is as well and it's you know kicks off on may twenty fourth through the thirty first as a virtual um film festival and uh if you want to get your tickets, which are available now. You can go to LegacyFilmFestivalOnAging.org. Uh, dot org. So, um, why don't you both give your website so people can stay in touch and see what you all are up to?
6: Go ahead, Kathy.
7: <laughs> <laughs> <saying, go> <laughs> <laughs>
6: well, for let's see, hmm. I let's see, I can be found on Facebook. Hmm. Uh, the name of my business is virtually possible three six five and that is also my website and also digital dot com is the newly launched business and it is briefly targeting um, social media and you know when someone passes away what that what happens to those accounts and those platforms so We'll, real briefly, you know, after my mom passed away on Halloween, Thanksgiving, social media pops up, and there's there she is, alive and well, and we're celebrating Thanksgiving, and that memory is, again, it's like a gut punch. You're already trying to, you know, heal, grieve, and you don't think about these things until that type of moment happens. So... I started to think like, wow, how many other people has this happened to? And most people don't think about what happens to their social media because they're like, Oh, I'm I'm not gonna be here but what if someone dies suddenly or you know, they have a a terminal illness and you can have a social media will in place which is important. You, you know, document all your social media platforms and have that notarized you. Make sure to share that with someone, the one person that you really trust, and that goes with every other um, form of important documentation with your will, with your insurance policies and, and such. And if someone has already had a loved one who's passed away and they would like the service of not having to navigate through the various platforms, it is, you know, signing an authorization and a death certificate or an obituary, and I would be able to handle that for them. So I actually have a lunch and learn scheduled for next week, Tuesday, with the Alzheimer's Association, uh, with the staff here in Michigan, to provide an educational forum to um, share with them, you know, the process and things of of the business itself, and I've had a, a few conversations with a local funeral home uh, to offer that as well, but estate plannings and estate attorneys, trust attorneys, those, and the general public. So, again, social media is here to stay, and we don't realize that, you know, the importance of closing out those accounts is to protect, protect that person's identity. They are people that scam or you know, scour obituaries looking for people to assume their identity. So it's important to make sure that you close those loops so that no one else is opening credit cards and buying houses and cars and cell phones in your loved one's name. So that would be, again, Digital Footprint Consulting, and that's also my website. And Digital also...
7: Footprint Consulting? That's the site? Yes. Okay. Yes. You got me when you mentioned uh, frequent flyer miles, because that's something I didn't realize, you know, because I've been saving them up to hopefully travel someday. But say I were to pass this afternoon, my wife couldn't, she couldn't get those miles unless she had my passport. Right. Or my and passport.
6: some some airlines don't even allow you to transfer because they say that it's, it doesn't really belong to you. So there are a few... That you actually that you both parties have to be either a part of their membership or so it's it's loopholes in there, and then it's also you know if you do online accounts like an Etsy account or you know your Netflix, and some people don't know so it's any yeah. digital digital crumb or you know digital footprint that is left out there that you know families are grieving. And this is not gonna be something that they're gonna be thinking about. So I, I what was his frequent if,
7: flyer password. <laughs>
6: <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So if you you know, kinda of document those things in uh, a social media will, um then you know, your family isn't struggling to
1: try and figure that out.
7: I think it's a great idea.
1: Yeah, it is a great idea. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I I, um, I get notifications um for people that have, have made the transitions, you know, for their birthday celebrations years after mm-hmm. we all know that they're no longer with us and I'm like, who's handling their account, I think. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cuz I know when I set up my my Twitter, I don't know about all of them, that you can actually give uh administration to someone else when you set it up. Exactly.
6: Yes, mm-hmm. and if you if you do that, then that's great. You know what I mean? But most people don't even know that this is something to even think about. So Mm -hmm. it's educating Mm -hmm. people to to even make them aware because, you know, I, I will say the vast majority of us have some form of digital breadcrumb, as it's called, that is active. And you are not thinking about that in your process of your insurance and your, you know, your actual estate planning. Mm-hmm. that's not something you really think about. And right. even estate state and trust attorneys aren't in that habit of saying, hey, what does, does, does your loved one have Facebook? or you know?" So this is where the process is of educating and getting the word out there now. So mm-hmm. I, when I started thinking about this, everyone was like, oh, my God, that's a great idea. I never heard about that. I never think about that. And it's something mm-hmm. to think about.
1: Yeah, that is a really important idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks so much for yeah making that. And, and I hadn't realized that people take the actually I do remember from a sixty minutes episode about um, identity theft of people that are mm-hmm. living. But yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, the whole idea of someone taking someone's identity that is deceased. Right. Hmm. Yeah. 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 Hmm. And then once it's taken, sometimes it's hard to get it back. Um, Well, yeah, and then it's the family that has to clean that up, Mm -hmm. you know.
3: So they
6: have to go through. While they're dealing with everything else, exactly. So, why not close those loops and as quickly as possible, so that you're not leaving that open for someone else to take advantage of you already, when you have enough on your plate.
1: Mm Mhm. Yeah. Certainly. Certainly. Great.
6: Yeah. Cool. Well, David, what are your web information? Now I'm going to
7: interview you. <laughs> Wildscientific.com is my website. And um, I also have wild labs. But uh, Wild Scientific, and I need to keep that kind of updated. But that, that lists some of the projects that I've done and, and working on. And I'm trying to finish up a documentary on the cowboy hat, which is been working on since 2006, which is kind of embarrassing. But I remember one of the first things they told me in film school was never finance your own films. (laughs) And I would really, (laughs) it's really hard because you want to make films, you want to tell stories, but gosh, sometimes it just gets really expensive to finish them.
6: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Do we need to create a GoFundMe page for
7: you? (laughs) I just got to do it. Sally and I've been working on it for a long time, but it's an interesting mm.
1: project. That yeah.
2: sounds interesting. Oh, sorry. Okay.
1: And <laughs> is there is there a website for today was a good day? Uh,
7: yes, Titan.org. Titanit org. T I G H T K N I T dot org. And they have a lot of different um uh resources for caregivers. There's another documentary mm. that was made. Mm-hmm. Um and then there are some uh podcasts. And that's where mm-hmm. the Ralph C. Wilson Junior Foundation promotes these these issues.
1: Okay, awesome, awesome. And are you yeah. from Detroit too?
7: No, but I grew up in Michigan and, and I have a thing for Michigan. I love Michigan. But I met a girl from Seattle and she wouldn't move. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
1: Oh, that's great. <laughs> wow, That sounds like a song. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> They're very sad. Uh-oh. It no, might no. go with the cowboy documentary.
6: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> Wow. Well, thank you uh, both so much for a wonderful conversation and, and just you. a wonderful journey. Um, really, really wonderful. And, you know, please feel free to let me know when you want to come on again and talk about that film about cowboy hats and about your work uh with um you know expanding you know so the reach of um of you know what you've learned um uh, in caretaking uh cat and okay. uh, as well as your other other businesses. Um I please feel free that. to drop me I a line. It. Okay. will do. <laughs> all right. Thanks so a you lot. All take good care. Yeah and and good luck on this weekend, Kat, um, you know, surrounding by love. You know, and your mom, of thank course, you. you know. She's not gone, she's still with you. Thank
6: you. I appreciate that a lot. Sure. Good
1: you to hear take care, both guy. of you. You too, David. Bye-bye. You have a good thank one you. And thank Thanks.
7: you. Nice good to time. meet you, Wanda. Thank you.
1: Oh, you're quite welcome. Peace and blessings. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye. So we are going to uh, play a song um by our our dear Namasula. Sula spirit, the ancient mothers. We must
5: respect the ancestors yeah my out. Order. Respect the ancestors and the ancient mothers. Yeah, my Ya' Ocean Oya, and many others. Mommy wants the onset, son of Essex. Yeah, I stand for one and respect Mama Ya' Maya, she's the mother of the ocean, and to her we give our praises and devotion. Yeah, yeah, Ocean. The mother of the river Sweets his spell and love she wants to give ya Oh, ya transformer What well, protect ya and won ya And mommy was a place for history upon ya Respect the ancestors and ancient mothers Yemaya, Oshinoya, and any others Mommy was a heart That's not an essay Ya're a son that an advocate up on the tea and and Ethiopian queen and Kali is the mother on the Indian sea We must respect the ancestors and the ancient mothers Yeah my ya ocean the many others mommy wants all offset now the essay yeah a sense for Spanish Kali we must respect the ancestors and the ancient mothers yeah my ya ocean the many others mommy wants an Na essay, ya yeah, attend to a empress bending than any others. Mommy was the onset, not an essay. Ya, asasa wa empress, mana kale. We must respect the ancestors and the ancient mothers. Yeah, my ya, o shino ya, than any others.
1: Again, that was Nana Sula Spirit, um, the Ancient Mothers. And we are going to be rebroadcasting, closing the show with a rebroadcast of a really wonderful interview with Michelle Broder and J.C. Hallman about the Mothers of Gynecology, um, an art um, project that honors um, three black women formerly enslaved Um Anarka, Lucy, and Betsy, who are so they're indicative of a larger um, community of women, who um, whose body were use, bodies were used um, to experiment and create um, tools and uh, procedures that are continuing to date. Um, in this case, around um, uh, women's care, women's body care. And uh, and so Michelle Broder is the uh, uh, is the impetus and the creator of this project, and um, these three monuments of representing these women uh, is being installed. Will finish being built, and then it's going to be installed. I think by by next year, and the ground is being broken in Montgomery, Alabama, this weekend, tomorrow, Saturday. May 6th, May 8th, sorry, <laughs> uh, and, and Sunday, May 9th, Mother's Day. So there is a virtual play that you can attend to help, it's all about raising money, and it's, um, the play is called Behind the Sheet um, by Charlie Yvonne Simpson, and it's an off-Broadway play um, that folk explores the lives of the mothers of modern gynecology, and it is six p m central time uh four p m uh, east four p m pacific time again it's saturday tomorrow and it's twenty five dollar donation and you can get tickets at arnaca lucy betsy so i'm gonna spell it for you a n a r c h a l u c y and then betsy b e t s e y dot r g um if you just put mothers of gynecology in a search engine you'll probably come up with the website but it's our lucy betsy and um and and then sunday and i don't know if this is gonna be virtual or not but sunday is the groundbreaking and that's gonna be awesome and uh that's going to be uh from 1:30 to 3:30 the mother's monument and it's featuring um apostle kimmy uh Searcy, uh kamala long and Belle monique with special guest tatiana ali and um it's free admission at 17 mildred street and um the Mothers, hashtag the Mothers Monument, hashtag the Mothers of Gynecology, hashtag Arnaka Lucy Betsy. And, uh, and again, the website is arnaka Lucy Betsy.org. So that's going to be really awesome. And right now, like I said, I don't know if there's going to be a virtual version of that but because i don't have the link um but when i do i will put it up at wandasticks.com. but in the meantime you could go to the go to the website you can also go to their facebook page and see what's going on Uh, but the play definitely you can attend it's going to be virtual all righty so without further ado i'm going to play this really wonderful um wonderful um interview with um uh, Sister Michelle and uh, J.C. Hallman, one of two scholars that um, is helping with the research, and J.C. is actually working on a book about Anarka. And what else do I want to tell you? <laughs> ah, there's a lot of good stuff going on, so visit wandaspix.com because I want you to hear this interview. Um, don't forget the um, the fundraiser for um, uh, Bring in black mama's home bail out black mama's project and um and again um you can go to let me see if I have the website up that I can find it um, um oh yeah national bail out uh, go to national uh out and um to free black mama's hashtag free black mama's uh the goal is to uh, bail out as many black mamas who are incarcerated presently before mother's day so um they need money uh here in the bay i think um about 200,000 um is is sort of needed to bail out black mamas still and the uh the lead organization here in the bay is SE Justice E S S I E S C Justice and so um so anyway, that's where you can send your dollars. You can send them money, but you can also just go to um, National Bailout um, and you can donate to the to the organization cause because it's really beautiful. Um, I've been to a few um, events where the mamas came home before Mother's Day to be with their families because incarceration affects. The families, as much as it affects those who are locked up, everyone is locked up when one person is locked up. All righty, so once again, here is the broadcast. Happy Mother's Day, everyone. Good morning. How are you? I'm well, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. So um, so Sister Michelle, Brother, tell us about this phenomenal project where you are honoring these three black women who were enslaved, and um, you know, and basically sort of laid the ground, literally, for um, what we know now um, around the field of gynecology. And here is the historian <laughs> uh j c perfect timing <laughs> good morning j c. hallman. How are you? I'm very good great, great. So Michelle is with us, and I just asked her the question about you know these these women um that you um you know you have researched particularly one woman in particular and I want you just tell us the story, both of you. Um, Michelle since you already already Asked you the question you want to talk a little bit about These three Huge monuments That you are crafting right now In San Francisco you have on your where well, you took it off because you're on the phone With us but you know you had on Your protective gear and your You know your welding all this metal Together and making these monumental um, honored Honorable Statues and monuments To these important women that no one knows. Yeah, yeah. And, well, thank you
8: for having us. And I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of rush through it because we have uh, people coming in to help us today. And I, they're <laughs> kind of be like, "Will you hurry up?" So I'm just gonna um, give just a little bit of the history of what I've known of these women, and then I'll ask JC to close it off. And so basically, I have a tour company in Montgomery, Alabama, and as I did my research on the iconography that surrounded or just kind of littered our city, I just, you know, there's this narrative about James Marion Sims who's a doctor that experimented on um, many women, not just her, and and enslaved men um, during the time of his uh, hospital, which is called the Negro Hospital. And, you know, you can't come to Montgomery and not discuss the statues because they are part of the landscape. And as I did my research, I just felt a heaviness in my spirit to start talking more so about the women, uh, and I kind of dubbed them as the mothers of gynecology because on one of the markers that stands at the state capitol beside James Marion Sims, it talks about, um, or excuse me, in front of James Marion Sims, actually the marker is at his hospital, but it deems him as the father of gynecology. And so, as I I begin to talk more about the statues, I said, "Well, where are the mothers? If this is the father of gynecology, then what are the mothers?" And this doctor has um, is known for the vaginal uh, the vestio vaginal fistula experiments, and these women are from Alabama. Um, there's a few from Montgomery, Browns county, Macon County. and it was just important, I felt, to start telling their stories and sharing their truths about what really took place uh, with this legacy of slavery. And then with COVID and how it just kind of um, brought this issue to life about our healthcare system, something that black folks have always known, nothing new. Um, But it was just important for us to really start elevating these voices and amplifying them as more. So uh, the three of them that I've known about were – uh, and Arca Lucy and Betsy And Arca, at the time of her uh, vesico-vaginal fistula, she was 17 at the time of her childbirth. And I thought, wow, this legacy of slavery is brutal. It's horrendous, and we need to start talking more about it because people are known for their uh, discoveries on the backs of enslaved African men, women, and children. And so. Uh, with that, I just started doing some in-depth research, and in 2015, I met this gentleman by the name of J.C. Hallman, whom I'm asking me on with us on the show today because he's done some extensive work on the history and has really brought out some uh, things that many people haven't gone as far as he has as it relates to the research. And, um, and so with that, uh, there has been a pride that I have uh, kind of embraced in knowing these women more now, intimately, I started my research on them about 10 years ago. Uh-oh. Are you there? Yeah, we're here. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So what it just sounds like. Um, so about 10 years ago, and so basically it has led us to this moment, and really we're in the right place at the right time because now the world is talking about the hair care, the disparities in health care, and how mm-hmm. black and brown people are affected by that. And so with that, you know, women's health. Right, reproduction justice, uh, reproductive justice is really what we're aiming for. and to, to talk about again these practices in healthcare that Black women have contribute forcibly been contributed to. Uh, and so basically, we're going to erect a monument. I had this drawing in my head about these women from ten years ago, and I'm I'm an artist. I'm what Dr. King would call a creative extremist. And basically I will go through go to, or go or through the extremes of exposing injustice in any manner, but I use art history and Courageous Conversations to do that. And so we have three 15-feet tall, beautiful, broad, bodacious, um, voluptuous women that we are going to install in downtown Montgomery, Alabama, literally about a mile from where the plantation, where Anarca um, was enslaved, and then literally about – Four to five blocks from where the doctors' Negro Hospital, James Marion is since currently, even today, uh, mm. and so that's the work that we're doing. And we're going to um, take them back to Montgomery, Alabama. But we're traveling with them. We're having conversations. We're holding events in the space where we're constructing them. And so, uh, yes, yeah, the rest is history, or will be anyway.
1: <laughs> right. And and I know you know you're like you know really busy, um, and I I don't have anything. I don't know if um if JC has the documents that he could send me or tell us about how does it, how do people how does the public you know come to the the open studio aspect of the um of of the creation process where you are in San Francisco right now, and then where are you going? I know you're going to be going. Stopping on the way to Montgomery as you move, you know, these monuments to these three phenomenal woman, women um, mm-hmm. back home. Yeah, well, there's
8: a Burning Man artist by the name of Dana Albany, and I was visiting San Francisco, and in, in the park, I can't remember where it is, where this park is located, but my friends that I was visiting, they took me to this park, and we got a cup of coffee, but in the midst of this park is this beautiful, statue named Tara, and made of, you know, mixed metals, and she's, I think she's about 23 feet tall, and I was like, oh, I was captivated because I thought, this is what I want Anarcha to look like, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. This is what our women, uh, when you memorialize women and we speak their truth, um, because black women, as we know, have been discarded, removed uh silence, um, this is something that I would like to see done, not knowing two weeks later my friends will be sitting at the table of a woman by the name of Julie, who was friends with the artist here.
2: And lo
8: and behold, they called me. She, We had a, a, a two-hour Zoom conversation, and she's like, I'm on board. And here we are a year later along with JC, and mm. JC has done a lot of uh, research on in our, and I just wanted him to just kind of tell you know why is she or why is the subject so important because we discovered you know that they were nurses and uh they were care for each other, so I just wanted him to briefly tell you some of the gems that we found out about these women it, it just it, just it, you know in a way to humanize them if you don't mind oh no
1: sure, I don't thanks, mind at thanks. all i just i just I just don't want you to just leave with with other questions oh, yeah, hanging. No, 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 but no, no, no no, 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 definitely no, no. I don't mind us going back and forth at all. <laughs> so J C okay, so tell us know, about you. how you came to know the women. Yeah. Particularly the women yes, you've sure. you've been like doing seven years of research on.
9: Yeah, so I, I came across the story um way back in two thousand and fifteen um approximately. And what um became really apparent um very early on was that even though um you know, J. Marion Sims had been under kind of some level of scrutiny from the scholarly community for some time, Uh, That nobody had actually made an effort to see if any of the young women, Lucy and Betsy, who were known to have been the most prominent um, experimental subjects of the initial group of women that he was performing experiments on, nobody had actually made an effort to try to find them, to see if anything could be found of them. It was always the same story. They were illiterate. They couldn't tell their own stories. And so for half a century, as um, scholars and academics were reconsidering um, this history, we were sort of stuck with what this guy had said about them. And everyone knew that his work was not reliable. He was kind of a P.T. Barnum sort of figure and exaggerated things dramatically, and that was all anybody knew. And um, and so I went down to Alabama to start digging in um, probate records and you know, private archives, sometimes private collections, to see um, if anything of these women could be found. And I decided to focus on Anarka because she had a very distinctive name and because she had been the um, the first woman with fistula that Sims saw. Uh, she experienced the most uh, experimental surgeries, 30, without the use of anesthesia and without consent. Uh, and, um, and she was heralded as the first cure. And so Sims is the father of gynecology, so his big claim to fame was this cure that he was said to have created on Anarcha. And meaning that that moment is kind of the birth of modern women's health. And, uh, and no one knew what had happened to this woman. Uh, and so um, almost immediately in Alabama, I was able to find, you know, for the first time in, in, in many decades, um, the first uh, evidence of this woman's life that did not come from this guy. And, uh, and so, you know, I began to piece together her story uh, to figure out that she did not stay in Alabama. She was sold. Um that and and most prominently that she was not truly cured. Um and um she was she endured even more experiments in Richmond and then in New York City. And I managed to recreate her entire life story all the way to um to where she died in Virginia. And I actually managed even to find her gravesite in a remote forest in Virginia. It's a long story and, and um and many, many documents sort of um, create that kind of uh, skeletal trail of her life and and so i've been i've been working on a book about all of this for some time and uh and that'll come out uh next year uh it's called the anarchic oh. quest and uh and um you know that the somewhere along the line you know in in my second or third you know, i think there's been five total trips to and months spent in alabama um i met michelle and um huh. and you know and Way back in, in when Michelle first and I got got in touch, nobody was talking about J Marion Sims and, and Anarka. It was more or less she was doing her tours and I was doing my research and, and even in Alabama, people were largely unaware of of the story. Um, but that has changed dramatically, <laughs> uh, in in in, uh, in in no small part to Michelle's efforts. Um, but there are other other people who have been raising awareness about about that story as well. And um, and so I was invited to become one of uh, two historians attached to Michelle's project, which includes you know not only the the sculpture, um, the Mothers of Gynecology sculpture, but also you know eventually a school and a museum. And in the museum, we're going to be able to tell um, the version of Narca's story um, that's in my book, meaning that you know for the first time a, a version of this of this woman's story will be able to be told. That didn't just come from the guy who abused her um, mm. um, and as M- Michelle hinted at you know that one of the one of the amazing things about um, the story of, of all of these women and Arca Lucy and Betsy and six or seven or eight others um, who were part of that initial group was that they all started to care for one another right they were living together in this Negro hospital. Um, as Sims called it, and uh, uh, and they were caring for one another, and they they became um, uh, you know nurse assistants to some extent, and um, and that really stood out to me because I started looking into the the fistula crisis in Africa and in the developing world today. You know, after AIDS, the fistula crisis—the same condition that these women suffered from—is um, uh, is an ongoing crisis today, and. Uh, And actually, the thing that came out of the Alabama fistula experiments um, was not anything that this guy did, but it was what these young women did by living with with one another, caring for one another, becoming skilled, becoming medical assistants. Um, And that is the thing that is actually resonating around the world right now and helping women. So um, it's been part of my mission uh, to redirect credit for this from, from Sims, who was this you know very diabolical showman kind of figure to these young women who are you know um forgotten heroes- mm-hmm.
1: right, yeah, I was just thinking um when i I read that um uh as as you said, you know this diabolical character that is being honored in in these various monuments uh in in Montgomery that um that it was fistula uh, because because i I know of fistula as um what happens a lot of times when when girls are 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 may are married off to older to to men and before they're able to be developed you know as as women you know they get pregnant and they have children or have a child and 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 they end up you know sort of the resulting um I guess I guess the harm on their body is that they end up having wound a wound that doesn't heal. And and then also, um, you know, women who've experienced um uh the the cutting, you know, that the ritual cutting and the sewing up of, of girls in certain areas of the world. Um and that's also one of the things that can happen, particularly after they have you know, a child, and they get cut open, and they get sewed back together. Um, and there's a lot mm-hmm. of really wonderful work happening um, in these areas with some really phenomenal doctors that are, you know, not just trying to prevent this practice in the first place, but repairing, you know, the genitalia damage, you know, the vagina, you know, with the bladder and the vagina wherever possible. Um, and so, I was just wondering when you talked about, you know, sort of the fistula crisis. in in Africa I was wondering have you been able to like talk to any of these physicians in in East Africa and in Congo that are doing some really marvelous work Um, yeah I
9: actually I I went I've been to to Africa for this book twice I was in uh, Nigeria Mm -hmm. and Uganda and in
6: Ethiopia Mm
9: -hmm. and yeah. Um, there's a brand new hospital um, in in Uganda that is you know mm-hmm. was founded by a woman. It's the vision of a woman. It's all the doctors are women, nurses are women, all the patients are women. It's like a it's like a feminist utopia in in Uganda, and it just <laughs> opened in, in 2019. Um, but yeah, there are there are many doctors um, you know all, all um, across Africa who are doing important work. There's was Fakada Ayanachu in, in Ethiopia and Sunday Langman in in Nigeria in particular. Um, but it's um, uh, it's important, you know, to 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 emphasize. And you really can't emphasize this enough that uh, that Sims doesn't get credit for, you know, for having cured this. He didn't, in fact, cure it. And, right. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and even though that's the thing that's deeply embedded in the narrative, um, it, it's it's um, uh, it's it's the thing that really needs to be corrected. But on the other hand, this practice of um, taking the women who are who are suffering from this and giving them the opportunity to live with one another and
4: care with one another
9: and even achieve acquired uh, skills as health professionals, that is something that has really caught on all over Africa, uh, and and so in in Ethiopia, for example, at the Addis Ababa Fistula Hospital, there are more than 150 women who are working um, uh, in fistula centers around the country. Um, who are doing essentially exactly what Anarka uh, and Lucy and Betsy did, and um, uh, and you know and, and the, the next step from that is this hospital in Uganda, um, where the the whole place is entirely run by women, and um, and it's it's uh, there's a lot to talk about there. It's like a whole other show, mm-hmm.
2: you know. Yeah. But, <laughs> but,
9: but but basically, it's uh, um, it, you know it it is that. Um, not only did Anarka, Lucy, and Betsy um, help to found um, modern women's health as we know it, meaning that every woman alive today owes, owes a little bit of a debt to them, um, but, but also much more specifically that they pioneered this particular kind of, of patient-centered care that is, um, in spite of Sims, in spite of what he did, that what they did is now helping hundreds of thousands, millions of women, um, all across the developing world.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, I had, I have had shows about this. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. It was because there have been a lot of films made about it. And and when I was in uh, Ethiopia, I wanted to go to the uh, the Fistula Hospital in Addis, um, but um, they wouldn't approve my my request <laughs> to visit. So. Glad you were well, able to go in there because I'd seen it in the film, but I couldn't get in there. They wouldn't let me. They wouldn't. They wouldn't say yes. Um, but I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad you know to hear that things are things are continuing to go well there. Um, uh, I have I have another. I have a question about uh, Anarka An- An- Anarka. Who you mentioned that you were able to um, you know sort of follow her. You know, past, You know this this torturous um, ordeal. In, in in you know Montgomery, you know to other places where where she lived, um, I, I guess until she was free because she was all these women were really young, like seventeen, and um, right. they were very very young. And and I wanted to yeah. know, like for instance, why did she have more operations? Were they did she consult with someone trying to get relief, or was she still owned and somebody was shipping her off somewhere because? they wanted to be able to continue uh... exploiting her for monetary means as an enslaved person so you you mean after the fact after the
9: alabama official experiments and the subsequent exactly. experiments yes. right. um, well, well it's it's a little bit of it's a little bit of guesswork um... you know but um... Oh. i found her um... Uh, i found evidence of her at woman's hospital in new york city so after sim mm-hmm. left alabama he went to new york and he founded a place called woman's hospital and Women's Hospital started out as a kind of fistula clinic, but then, you know, went through kind of dramatic mission creep and they started to do experiments on, on for lots of different kinds of conditions but, but all mm. uh, gynecological in, in nature. Um and eventually cancer surgeries. They were they were trying to do, um, you know, remove uterine tumors and, and, and so on. Um but the reason why um anarca um is 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 getting more is ex experimented on again after the fact, um, I believe is is because Sims had already started telling the story of his career. He had already sort of built up this narrative that he had you know um you know worked for three and a half years, and every time he tells the story, it 's always about how how difficult the work was for him and how much money he had to invest in these surgeries and and, and it 's all about him. And mm-hmm. um, and everybody bought that. The whole world sort of bought this narrative of how he fought and persevered. And, and, um, uh, and of course, you know, he goes and he starts his own hospital. And then an Anarka, who is already, you know, the center of that story, right, she, the cure, her cure is the evidence of his greatness, and she turns up and she's not cured. And oh. what's he going to do? Right. What, what is he going to do if If the world learns that his first cure is not cured, um, and so she winds up being experimented on in um, in Richmond, uh, Virginia, uh, by a guy Charles Bell Gibson, um, who was a doctor who was known to have been performing Sims surgery after he published about it in 1852. Um, but he can't cure her either. Uh, and then she's she's sent to Woman's Hospital in New York, where Sims experiments on her yet again. Um but to answer your question just directly, he was trying to cover his tracks. Um, that mm. his his whole legacy, his whole story, um, was a card house that was beginning to crumble and tumble. Um and uh, and he needed to um uh convince others around her uh, around um around him that Anarka was actually cured. But even documents I found later on show that even even after those experiments that she was not cured all the way up until the end of her life.
1: Oh man, what what happened to her her baby? Um, well, which one there?
9: <laughs> you know, I think. I, um, oh yeah, there's more than inter-
1: one. I I just when I was looking when I was reading, I I read that, um, that after she had I guess her first baby, um, that was when <laughs> she she didn't get well. And that was how, you know, right. the person who owned her, you know, ended up sending her to Sims, who, you know, basically was her new master.
9: Right. Yeah. Um. It's, it Sims Sims leased the women that he was ex- he was experimenting on. He t- he didn't technically own them. You know, kind of a, it's 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 um splitting hairs. Um and um. But, you know, she, you know, women who have an ongoing uh, fistula condition are, are capable of, of bearing children after the fact. Um, and, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, particularly when that's your job, right? And, and of course, at this, yeah. at this moment, 1830s, 1840s in Alabama, the breeding programs were, were running rampant on plantations. And, um, and so um, the documents that I found... Um, suggest that Anarka had eight total pregnancies. Um, really?
5: Throughout. Wow. Yeah.
9: And she, um, her first uh, baby, it's unclear uh, what happened to that child. I mean, it's something that is important to point out. Not all of her pregnancies were, were obstructed labor, um, but the first one definitely was. And mm-hmm. upwards Ninety percent of the time in, in obstructed labor, the baby dies, and um, and so um, so it's pretty unlikely that that first child lived. Um, okay. But uh, but Sim, the way Sim describes it.
1: Can I can I ask, it, I ask a question? What What do you mean by obstruct obstructive labor? Um, what do you mean by that? Right.
9: Yeah. So that's that's basically the the gist of obstetric fistula, right? And
2: obstructed oh, labor okay. just
9: sim- simply means the. Passenger too big for the passage, right? You either have right. an abnormally large baby in um, in a in a in a normal sized woman, or you have a very small woman, as you were saying before. It's often the case that, oh. that women who are premenstrual, uh, who mm-hmm. are very young, um, they they wind up with this condition just because they're they're not done growing. They're small, and, right? And
1: they, get, um, they get
9: torn up and stuff.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. right, right.
9: But basically, it's a, it's a um, the, the baby's too large, and the press of the head uh, against the pubic bone um, as the the uterus is trying to push the baby out um, is um, uh, you know causes uh, the tissue in between the, the fetal head and the pubic bone to suffer a kind of crush wound,
2: um, and after the mm-hmm. fact, then
9: sluts away. And leaves a point of communication or a gap or a hole or a fistula usually between the vagina and the bladder and, mm-hmm. um, and so um so yeah that's that's you know, that's what I mean by obstructed labor and and so not all of Anarka's um uh pregnancies resulted in that, uh, but that first one did and and it's what probably resulted in the death of that
1: first child um, so other.
9: Other of her children did live and were with her when she died. Mm,
1: mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Whew, my goodness. So, Michelle. Oh, Michelle is gone. <laughs> Do we lose <leave>
9: Michelle? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. when
1: well, she talk? Remember she, she said that there were people there. <laughs> yeah. In, in, um, there in, she, the, uh, in the in the in the in the studio. Where she is doing the welding. Yeah, yeah I
9: wow. I guess one of your earlier questions, you you asked about how can how can you follow, um, you know what Michelle is doing right now because she's been planning yes. on this mm-hmm. journey out to San Francisco for for a long time and um, mm-hmm. and you know, and she'll be out there for about a month. Um, while yes, the I
6: know. Yeah, mm-hmm.
9: and um, and there is a there's a Facebook page, an see Betsy oh. on Facebook. Okay, where you know, that that people can follow and, and um and Michelle is, is fond of the live stream, so she does a lot of live streaming,
2: you know. Oh, okay. Uh that
9: Yeah, yeah. And she's really good at it too. And um and so um so people who are interested, um, can can follow the path of her journey, not only through the process of creation of the mothers. That's what our group has has sort of come to to calling them. We just sort of shorthand it to the mothers. And uh and the creation of the mothers and then and then that journey backward is all going to be documented um and
1: mm-hmm.
9: uh and you can find it on facebook
1: okay so i'm trying to find it so that i can link to it and so tell me again um what the name of the uh a n a r c a all their names a l u c a yeah a n a r c h a Oh, C-H-A, that's why I'm not finding it. C-H-A, Okay. And then Lucy, is there a comma or just the just names just next to each other? Oh
9: there, just, it, is. It. there yeah. it is. I see it. There it is. I found you go. it. Yeah. sort of sort of sort of sort of sort that that um, of sort um, which is of sort of sort of sort of approximation of what of of what of sculpture of going to look like, uh, mm-hmm. and, um, and there's a there's a lot of of and. Um, uh, and, yeah, specifically created so that people can follow
1: that story. Okay, cool. Yeah, I just – I found it and then it said it can't find it, so I'm like, oh, darn. So maybe you could email me and, and then I can sure. find it a little more easily. So um, so are you in – where are you? Are you in Alabama? Are you in Los Angeles? Are you in San Francisco Bay Area? <laughs> Where are you located? Uh, Right now,
9: now, I'm in New Hampshire. I'm I'm at an artist residency called McDowell in in New Hampshire. And, um, you know, the the work for for this book, The Anarcha Quest, was really, you know, very, very all-consuming. One of the reasons that Anarcha had never been found was because, you know, in order to conduct that search, you know, you just have to be, you know, on site for months. And so... You know so uh, a few years ago, I dragged all my furniture to the curb and put all my books in storage and and just sort of decided to dedicate myself to this project full time and uh and so you know I'm still kind of on the move <laughs> you know i've I've now finished the book but but um but I'm working on um you know on on the addendum the notes section to really document all of the all of the um, the primary source material, you know, my book is going to be very much like a story. You know, it'll read like a, it'll lead like a novel, um, but um, it's all based on on all those archive archival work. And so, um, so I've, I do a lot of bouncing around, and but but in that time period, I've all I've spent a lot of time um, in Alabama, um, you know, to just be on site and to be in the in the atmosphere in which these experiments took place.
1: Right. Yeah, I found it. Um, I just went out and came back. Um, yeah, because I remember when I was in, uh, in Montgomery, Alabama, for the first time. I had never been to Alabama, but I was there for the opening of the uh, the National Memorial for Peace and Justice and the Legacy Museum from Slavery to Mass Incarceration. And a friend of mine, uh, Theodore uh, Lush, he teaches at, um, I think, uh, Alabama State or... The, the university that's right there in Montgomery, he teaches there, mm-hmm. and he's a scientist. And he as a he is a re relocated because of Katrina. Uh, he was washed out of Louisiana, New Orleans, and and I'm I'm a New Orleans native too. So when I was there um, for that, some other friends, um, some other friends from from uh, Miami came up too. We all got in Theodore's van, and he took us around. And so one of the places that we went to look was at Sim's um, offices because they're like right, right walking distance, right? And so, yeah. and um, and I had never heard of him before. Uh, so, so when I I heard of you know this this project, uh, when I someone sent me the information to read, yeah, I think Theodore sent me the article because they they know uh, Michelle. Uh, Theodore knows right. Michelle, and my other friend who's now in Detroit knows Michelle, and and so and I and my mother lives in L.A. and so I'm like, oh, wow, and I and I knew exactly. I could see I could see his offices because it's all preserved. Like he's some big deal, right? Uh, someone to be honored, kind of big deal, as opposed to someone to be like, man, too bad you can't like go go back and arrest the spirit, right? Yeah. Cause well, he really was horrible to these women. Oh my goodness, thirty surgeries. Yeah.
9: yeah, I mean it's it's interestingly the case that you can still find pe- today people who are very much in defense of of Sims' legacy, and mm-hmm. um and to be sure, you know there there are a lot of thorny issues, um you know, uh, complicated questions of consent and ethics, and um uh, but you know, um. What I discovered when when I started writing about Sims, and and my initial forays into Sims were about his monument in in New York City, and um, and I I started to research the history of that particular statue, and this was before the kind of national reckoning on race in the country really focused on, on monuments, and Confederate statues started to come down. Um, but even as I started researching that statue and, and the Sims legacy, you know what I what I found was that if you dug a little deeper, you know if you went beyond sort of the the, the version of the narrative that winds up in newspapers, what you discovered was that just everything that this guy um, claimed, um, you know, as as his own invention or his own creation, um, as as the reason why he should be remembered. All of it was false. It was, it was just amazing how you, know, you could just line them up one after the other. He, he said he did this. He didn't do this. He said he did this. He didn't do that. And it took a lot of forensic digging um, you know, to get to that point. But, um, but it's also the case that, that you know, most people don't do that kind of digging and, and that there are people, even today, who are very invested in some of the falsehoods about sims that are still out there, um, about what his contributions were. And, um, and so, you know, I think more, me thinking even more broadly than the history of gynecology, um, you know, the country right now is, is, um, is, as I said, it has this ongoing reckoning when it comes to, to race in this country and, and thinking about, you know, what our true history really is. And, um, and And this was part of that you know that that this guy's monuments, even though he had largely faded out of the modern mindset, his monuments were still there and um and so reconsidering that legacy, choosing to redirect credit uh, from him to the young women who who um who performed such an important service um is is part of is part of that larger that larger reckoning about. Um, recognizing that we've for a long time been living with some false histories and um and and in and in this particular case with with sims it was just it was so easy to document if you were just willing to 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 dive in and, and do that forensic level research
1: right yeah yeah so um yeah i i found the the website uh, as well um, okay you know from from the um uh, from the Facebook, <laughs> and I and I okay, see your wonderful. your post there as well, and because and, I was like, "Whoa, how how do I get a T-shirt?" And so um,
2: anyway,
1: <laughs> I, cause I see all these people in these yeah. really cool T-shirts that are are like the uh, official uh, logo and um, you know brand for the project. It's like, well, yeah, I'm really looking forward yeah. to your book. Wow, wow, what a journey! Yeah. So so you didn't find any any living ancestors um or descendants I should say of of any of the women
9: Well Betsy and Lucy were were much more difficult um to 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 track because you know um uh first I I, I you know largely narrowed my scope to Annaka because you know, she was the most important of, of the women and, um, and also because, you know, it, her name was going to make her easier to find, you know, and whereas, you know, when you look at old plantation records, you know, there might be two or three Betsy's on every plantation you look at, you know, and, and so how would you know? How could, how could you possibly have any level of certainty? Um, it does seem like um, Anarka, Lucy, and Betsy, after the fistula experiments in Alabama, did all go to the same plantation afterward, um, but I don't know what happens to Betsy and Stacy after that. Um, Betsy was married prior to the Dishlox um, but um, there's no guarantee that she would actually return uh, to her husband or that her husband would have been someone else who she's in the world. Uh, And uh, so, um, so it's, it's hard to... to, to to say uh, um, about them,
1: right? Yeah, yeah. Wow, wow. Well, well. I'm so happy that, um, you know, that you were so moved, you know, to, uh, you know, for Anaka to, you know, to to get you the like, tell her story. And then, you know, for uh, you to meet Michelle. You know, so it's like a great, <laughs> great it was, team. It was, all, it was all really
9: fortuitous, and and,
1: um, and and it's
9: been an honor to to be part of of her team. You know, because it's not just um, Michelle and, I, and and I; it's a whole big group of people, and who are you know are adding a whole variety of skills, and and um, and that group is kind of is kind of growing all the time. You know, there's you know on the uh, Betsy dot org website. Um, there's mm-hmm. you know, the opportunity to, you know, to stay in touch, to make donations, there's a brick campaign so that people can sponsor right. um bricks that are going actually gonna be built into the sculpture, the base of the sculpture. Um and, you know, so so the the group Michelle calls us all doulas, which is a which is a term for middle. Oh nice. And, yes. Uh,
1: yes. <laughs> um, so the
9: the 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 doula faction is growing you know, day by day. And, um, mm-hmm. and, and Michelle is just such a, is, is, is a force in Montgomery. Everybody knows her. She did a really remarkable um, Black Lives Matter mural back on Juneteenth in, uh, in mm-hmm. 2020 and um, really put Montgomery on the map in, in, uh, in a way that it had not been before. Um, you know, obviously it was the birth of civil rights, but it had been a very sleepy town for for a long, long time. And mm-hmm. um, uh, and Michelle just refused to accept that, you know. So so even when I first started, and and you know, and there were um, many many women and 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 activist groups in New York that had been protesting the monument in in the Sims Monument in New York for ten years that had been going on.
2: Mm-hmm.
9: Um, but in 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 Alabama, nobody, you know, nobody was paying attention. They had they had a Sims Monument too, um, and, right. and very few people were were even aware that it was there. Um mm-hmm. and uh and you know, and Michelle just, you know <laughs> she refused to take that note for an answer.
2: You
9: know, <laughs> she's uh, like, Wake and, up
1: folks <laughs> Yeah,
9: exactly, exactly. And she's she's really good about that. And so so I was just thrilled when she asked me to be part of the of the group and um and you know, and as I, I think I said before, you know, that that the, the work I've been doing is gonna enable us to tell a version of anarchist story. Um uh, that hasn't ever been told before, and of course, Anarka is is um, is is just a symbol. She's a symbol of all of the women who were part of those experiments, the women who came um, after mm-hmm. the experiments, and, and women who were experimented on by um, doctors other than Sims because he wasn't alone um, in, in employing um, enslaved persons for surgical experimentation.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and, and the whole idea that, you know, black people don't feel pain, that's something that is still um, uh, something that, you know, the medical professionals being trained still believe. They believe that. Um, they under-medicate um, people of African descent to date. They gave a friend of mine who had cancer treatment asked to take aspirin. Um,
2: right.
1: Yeah. So, Maybe we just saw know, that, the still, tragic
9: story of Susan Moore in Indiana. You know the um, who was a physician herself. You know and yeah. was dying of COVID, and they didn't believe her. And when she was when she was telling them that she was in pain, it's uh, um, it's remarkable. You know that that um, you know it's 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 a, it's very it's it's very interesting in the context in the context of Sims because um, uh, Sims didn't speak to that one way or the other. He did, he described some of the, the the enslaved women that he experimented on as being in incredible pain. Um, But he didn't ever say that one way or the other. But the person who did Mm. say it, not Mm. in in 1849 or 1850, but in 1950, was Mm. Sim's biographer, his one story. And Mm. he said it unequivocally. He said exactly that. And that um, that African American women had a tolerance to pain that had been bred into them by 400 years of bondage, blah blah blah, and um, uh, and that's that's you know that's not 100 200 years removed from us. That's seven years it's, it's, removed from us. Yeah, that's recent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, and that's you know that's the guy who was who, who wrote what is till now Sim's only full length biography. And um, and he was he was a big champion not only of Sims but of of at least two of the monuments that that exist to him today, and um, and so you know in a very real way my work has been an attempt to undo not only Sims' work but that guy's as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Right, and I was wondering um, since you're more familiar with the uh, the website than I am and the Facebook page, uh, could you tell um, the audience how you know, sort of what the schedule is. I know Sunday is by appointment, but Saturday there's some time slots where people can can go and watch um, or look at the work as it has developed to this point, and and then also, um, Michelle had mentioned that people are donating um, metal to go into the the making of these big pieces. Yeah, I can't speak to the dates because I'm not in San Francisco, so I'm I'm not
9: I'm, I'm not I'm not part of that. But yeah, but I know that both in San Francisco and um, and eventually in Alabama, because the 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 mothers, the the sculpture is not going to be completed in San Francisco.
8: Um, oh, they are.
9: I believe they're doing a lot of work on the bodies, um, mm-hmm. and, but it, they need to be disassembled you know, and for, the, for the transit back to Alabama. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so there will, there's going to be additional work um, in, uh, um, in Alabama as well. But, yeah, Michelle has put out a kind of cattle call. Um, request for anybody To you know who has um, You know kind of you know large pieces of Metal that that, that could be Melted down or otherwise employed um, in, in the creation Of the sculpture and um, And I know there's going to be You know there's going to be Welding classes for people who want to come And ev- even participate um, Because it's very much a community Yeah oh. it's very much a community Thing And so so, um, mm-hmm. you know, and that's not my part of it. I'm, the, I'm I'm, one of just two historians on the project, you know, so so I <laughs> No, I, no, I, 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 no I meant
1: that you were organizing it, but I thought maybe you might know where it is. Like you could just read it to us because <laughs> you said that all this information is on the website or here, and I'm like I'm not seeing it because I don't have time to, like, figure it out right now. So that's why I thought maybe you might know, be able to read it to us because I know she said, on Saturday, there was some time, every Saturday that they're here, if there's going to be a time for people to be able to come and, and, and look at what's happening, what's going on so far. And then on Sunday, it's by appointment. So I was just wondering if right. if you had known where that was on the website. But that's okay. I will um I will call Michelle back and ask her to send me that flyer that I haven't gotten yet. Sure.
9: <laughs> okay, great. No, yeah, I mean, I, no I, I would imagine that... that they're just following that Facebook page. That that you know that kind of stuff will be posted there. That there are, there are there are doulas. There are members of the team who are who are um, you know sort of part of the the the, the, the social media um, campaign, and I'm, they're going to be on that, I'm sure.
1: Okay. All right. Cool. Because Saturday is coming quickly. <laughs>
9: right. <laughs> but I'm
1: but I'm really happy that um that San Francisco is a stop on the on the journey home. That is so cool. Yeah. That is really cool.
9: Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that was um, that's because of the artist Dana Albany that that Michelle mentioned. Right. You know, Dana's <laughs> Dana's based yeah. there, and you know, and her um her workshop. You know, Dana works in these really really large scale, um you know metal sculptures. And, and um mm-hmm. and so you know um, when Dana agreed to be part of the team, um mm-hmm. that it was, it was more or less ordained that you know a lot of the work was going to be happening there.
1: <laughs> cool, cool, and uh, and what's the name of the statue that um, that Michelle referenced? That Dana, that's Dana's work. That like that's what I'm looking for. Um, Tara. She's, I, she's referring to Tara. T A R A.
9: T A R A. Yeah. And, okay. Um, and if you Google, it's it's on the main. Uh, there's an image of Tara on the main the page. If you just sort of scroll down the main page, um there you'll you'll see uh Dana Albanith, not only Tara, but she also did a um a mammoth, like a woolly mammoth in metal. And um uh and you'll see both of those and, and and that's the style that um the Mothers of Gynecology Monument is gonna is going to emulate. And, um, so you can see it there, but also, you know, Dana, Dana has a website herself.
1: Okay. All right. Excellent. Oh, this has been so wonderful. I'm so happy that, um, uh, that Michelle invited, um, you know, um, one of the two of you (laughs) historians to join us, and I'm so happy you were available. Really, really fascinating. We'll definitely have you on again. um, you know, when your book, um, you know, is, is launched and, um, yeah, maybe, we might act, maybe you might be coming here with a tour, which would be kind of cool. That, or maybe we'll be moving be. around, and I can come back to uh, – we can maybe meet up in uh, Montgomery. I would love that. <laughs> that would be really super as well. Well, good luck on everything, and uh, certainly stay in touch. Yes, thank you so much. Sure. Is there anything else that, that you didn't get the chance to touch on? Um Oh, I know what I wanted to mention before. Before you do, you do let me know if there's anything else that you wanted to say that we might have not gotten to. Um, when we t- you talked about sort of the magic and the synergy around your and Michelle's, um, uh, you know, coming together to work together, uh, I was just thinking about um, Henrietta Lacks, another one of those women who is so foundational to the American Medical Association, and I, I actually call her the mother of modern medicine. Um, um, you know she, you know Henrietta Lacks, uh, because of her immortal cells, she never dies. Like she's still with us because she shows up in anything and everything. <laughs> you know when you're talking about you know um, you know cell culture, and 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 so in the book um, that uh, Rebecca Sloot, you know wrote uh, the immortal life of Henrietta Lacks, you know with of course um, Henrietta Lacks's you know lovely daughter Deborah's support um, and and um, and assistance you know, all the way you know through um and I was just thinking about the magic there, um you know, the magic and 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 um Rebecca meeting Deborah, and it working out, you know well Rebecca first getting you know the idea that she wanted to do this when all they knew of 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 um Henrietta Lacks was this photograph and, and when she was a kid, and then later on when she's a grown person, following that through, and then here you are. Seven years, right? <laughs> Seven years, yeah. you know, sort of following this woman's uh, life, you know, um, tributary. I mean, it was really, really, right. really scanty. You could barely see the water, but you were like, you knew it was there even when you couldn't see the water. And, and then you meet Michelle, and it's like it is what it is presently, you know, something really public and big and beautiful, you know, the potential, right? And so anyway, I just thought that. When you were saying that, and I just—that's what I wanted to say. And I know you know about—I know you know Henrietta the Lacks' story.
9: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I and, and, and of course, you know the the similarities of the two stories was was not lost on me from the very beginning. In fact, there was a mm-hmm. there was a um, uh, there was a story. There was a New York Times story that that more or less mentioned Anarka and Henry the Lacks in the same sentence.
8: Um, mm-hmm. Going
9: back, so so the the Times reporter who who had done who had done this. Had actually done some serious digging and had turned that up, but it, but of course it had attached her plantation name to her, so she was there known as Anarka Westcott, and um, you know and and even right now there's a there's a Wikipedia page um, for Anarka Westcott to tell part of the story, but but um, in fact um, what mm-hmm. my work uh, revealed was that Anarka didn't stay in Alabama; she certainly didn't take her plantation owner's name um uh at emancipation. She wasn't in Alabama at emancipation and um I did uh you know find the the name that she died with um mm. but it was it was not Westwood. and so um so there was still a lot to a lot to learn about her but um but you know for some time that, that parallel uh, between Henrietta Lacks and Anarka um, has has been has been out there, and um, so yeah, you know that that had had certainly um, occurred to me. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, well, the, well, the parallel for me um, beyond you know the the literal parallel was the magic between you and Michelle connecting. That oh, was. Oh sure, magic. yeah. Yeah, part. I mean I,
9: I remember <laughs> that, you know, yeah I remember quite we were, we were introduced by a mutual friend in Montgomery. I was um, mm-hmm. I was staying in a um at a at a in a room above a, a a new tavern in, in Montgomery and um Michelle knows everybody in Montgomery at this yeah. point. I mean yeah. she is she is um, you kind know, of an embodiment of the town and, and um and so um this gentleman knew about what Michelle was doing, knew the tours that she was giving and he knew what I was doing. And 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 uh, he just introduced us on on uh, the porch of his house one day, and um, um, and Michelle and I have been in each other's orbit ever since. And um, and it, it is a kind of it's a kind of perfect matching. You know, I, I do all that sort of forensic, you know, hardcore digging in libraries kind of work, um, and Michelle is out there, you know, making a difference in the world, you know. And so um, and um, you know and for a project like this, you really
1: need both. Right, right. And and what um what is um Anarka's, um what was the name that she had when she um uh, made the transition?
9: She's uh Jackson. Yeah. She um uh, she uh she was married, um kind of informally uh, toward the end of her life to a man named Lorenzo Jackson. And um you asked earlier her. about about descendants and I think I actually skipped over mentioning that and um, she had three living children with her when she died: uh, Delia, mm. William, and Oliver. And um, and I managed to to trace Delia, and um, and she appears to have died childless in Washington D.C. Uh, mm. in the 1920s. I think I'm not sure about the exact um, the exact date of her death, um, but she was married a couple of times and. Um, and then died and was buried in um, um, in a in a graveyard that was that was then um, moved and then turned into a park. So it's underneath the park. There were fifty nine thousand graves in the in the cemetery. Fifty nine
1: thousand. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah.
9: And then they they moved it, but they only mm-hmm. moved two thousand graves. Uh, That's all. Yeah, yeah, and. Oh. Um, and so those graves are still underneath of this park in Washington D.C. and mm. um, and that's where Parker's daughter is. And um, mm. and then I, I believe that one of her sons um, died young, William. I believe he died as a teenager. And, mm. um, and Oliver Jackson, I've just not been able to follow. I think the name's a little bit too ordinary. And I thought I thought I was onto it at one point, but it turns out mm. to have been a difference. Oliver Jackson. So, so. Um, but I, I don't think that story is over. You know, I think it's still possible that um, mm-hmm. that, uh, that that either myself or somebody um, can can find that um, that person and then maybe yes. um, eventually would lead us to descendants. That would be amazing.
1: Oh, that would be really amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. What park is is are all these these graves under? I forget the name of the park,
9: but the the, the cemetery was called Payne, I believe, P-A-Y-N-E, and. Uh, I'm not 100% certain sure because, you know, for a long time there, all I, I was just, you know, 40 to 60 hours a week on the book. <laughs> that was all I did, and, and <laughs> so, yeah, sometimes I would do this other genealogical digging, you know, if I had a, <laughs> if I had a spare moment, you know. So it wasn't it mm-hmm. wasn't the, the core part of my work. my my book is. It ends long long before any of that happens, but but. Oh um, okay. I'm, I don't think I'm done with that. You know, I think that eventually I'll, I'll turn back to that and try to find out more. But, but, um, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, no, that's, that's, um, that's something that, that um, deserves to be, you know, more widely known as well. as I'm sure a lot mm-hmm. of people are going to that park and enjoying it and without realizing um, that they're, they're, they're on top of an African-American cemetery.
1: Right, right. Yeah. And, and and uh, you know we don't know we don't know much about you cuz we didn't talk about you we talked about your research and i just wanted to ask you um maybe you could tell us a little bit about you know sort of like how how could you afford to do this like are you an independent scholar and wealthy <laughs> um, uh no i'm not um
9: you know I, I um uh it it was one of those kind of you know all in put it on your credit card kind of things for me um, and mm. and I, I don't want to you know I, I don't want to make too much of that um, but you know it was you know something that is still the case that that um, you know to invest you know what resources I have to you know to help history bend toward justice a little bit um, that mm-hmm. is a that is a pretty good use of of my time and and my experience I think when I when I heard about the story and. And I realized, you know, I could do this. Nobody's done it and I could do it. And it would take a, a lot from me, um, but, you know, um it's uh it it would it would be worth it. And um and of course, you know, having been um, you know, to the developing world a couple of times as part of the research mm-hmm. for that. Um I'm of course, you know, only too cognizant of the fact that it that even if uh, it takes a lot of um a lot of of um sacrifice from me um and a lot of you know couch surfing on friends and you know and on, in, in friends houses so i can keep going um you know i mean it's uh i'm i'm still pretty wealthy <laughs> you know globally considered and um mm. and uh i'm just you know i'm just you know i think i'm i think you know writers are always like looking for the kinds of projects that can um, give them that sense as, of having in some small way made the world a better place. And,
2: mm-hmm.
9: um, and, and in this case, it was, it was that recognizing that there was this, um, this travesty in, in the history that needed undone and, um, and, and then recognizing that I had the skills, I, had the, you know, I, I knew how to do it, and, um, and I had the time and I could do it.
1: And, uh, mm-hmm. and so I did. Right, yeah, it's really marvelous Um, Why don't you give folks your website So they can stay posted On when the book's going to be released
9: Sure Um, Yeah, it's uh, it's just my name So my name is J.C. Hallman And so the website is J-C-H-A-L-L-M-A-N Dot com And the book is The Anarcha Quest And it is scheduled uh, For release um, About a year from today or a year from now
1: mhm yeah yeah women's history month um twenty twenty two okay right. Right. <laughs> excellent, excellent, yeah, so is there anything that I didn't ask you about um or that you didn't share already um, that you wanna say in closing?
9: Uh, I think we've been pretty comprehensive. I would just encourage people to check out Michelle's project, and, and uh, if you can find a way to make a contribution, either with money to help help to buy a brick for in, in honor of a woman in your life, um, um, or you know, in you know, sending a big chunk of metal <laughs> that can become part of the part <laughs> of the monument, you know, please do find a way to contribute because that that project is um, uh, is is as worthy as they come.
1: Oh yeah, certainly. I totally agree. So it's so wonderful, you know, to honor, you know, these, these black women. Um yeah, and 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 the the statues, you know, that are being created right now are just gonna be so magnificent and oh my right. gosh, I can hardly wait to see them like installed. It's like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah,
9: they're
0: gonna. I mean, maybe that's
9: a, a final point to make is is that um, the the groundbreaking for the monument is going to take place on May 9th, um, and oh. this is not the installation of the monument, but but the 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 um, groundbreaking for the monument will take place in Montgomery on May 9th, which is Mother's Day. Uh, so the mothers right, will exactly. be um, will be set in, set in place. The beginning of that will be <laughs> happening on May 9th. Wow, in that's
1: so cool. Oh that's gonna yeah. be really awesome, yeah, oh that's so wonderful what a right. what a what a fitting fitting um uh you know plan you know for the mothers right. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Yeah. mothers of gynecology right <laughs> cool cool well again, thank you so much for for joining us today to talk about this wonderful collaboration um takes a lot of people to do things like this and um and, yeah, thank you so much for your, for your scholarship and for your tenacity in getting this story so that, you know, you can share it with, with the world. And we really appreciate well, thank it. You so,
9: yeah, thank you so much for having me, and I will offer a thank you, to you on behalf of Michelle, who I'm sure even now is wearing a welding mask and, and at work on building the mothers.
1: <laughs> All right. You take good care. <laughs> okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Peace and blessings. So let's see. What are we kind to end? I think we need to end with a song. What song, right? <laughs> um, let's see. This song here, um, Barbara Bodine and the Trees, I think it's pretty nice. So I am going to play it. And uh, thank you so much for joining us for another edition of Wanda's Picks. And wow, what a beautiful, beautiful story. Thank mm-hmm. you.